Um, so welcome to the post-mortem episode for season five. If this is your first time, I solicited questions from our audience. We're going to answer them. And then the season's over. Pretty simple. Any questions? Nope. No questions. Season done. Does does the fact that this is the last episode of the season mean that like when we finish recording this episode, all of those characters are dead forever and can never come back? Yeah, I personally kill each character off screen as soon as we stop recording uh, with a knife. Oh my god, why? <laughs> so, so that they can't accidentally come back and fuck up the plot. Is this plot. cathartic for you? Is that what it is? Um, so I'm ready for the first question. I hope you are too. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. First one, no particular order. Twitter, Twitter's algorithm decides how these are served to me. Cinnamon bun at cinnamon butt on Twitter. Asks, <laughs> Sorry, it's just very delightful. Our audience kicks ass. There's gonna be a lot of good names. Uh, asks, why the fuck didn't you go to the Aboleth? I am so mad. Yeah, that's my first question too. Actually, I voted Abolith. Two things: one, it could have totally fucked us over if we'd if we'd screwed up, and we have a habit of screwing up. And B, what would have happened if we didn't go to the sun? We wouldn't have found out about about our friend being the Mothman, and that's the best plot line. We'd have we wouldn't have had a sun gun. I mean, yeah, we wouldn't have had a sun gun. That's true. But I was kind of ve- I was very curious about the Aboleth, uh we should have gone back on a fucking downtime scene. I didn't want to deal with an abolith, yeah. but I was very curious to know what what that direction of the story uh, would have been with yeah, that branch. Yeah, that would have been. been fantastic, but also I wanted to not have the party wiped halfway through the season. Yeah. Right. It was, I wanted to live, but also everyone knows I do really love some ancient evils, you know. Yeah, it won't be anytime soon, but I, I assure you, this is not the last we've heard of the abolith. Uh, they are a very important uh character creature thing to the story of D&D to the point where there's a spin-off of D&D called Pathfinder um which has very similar lore but they've changed a couple of things one of that one of which is that uh the Aboleth are basically behind everything uh that's like the joke is that like any intrigue in the world any machinations any puppet masters it's always the Aboleth to the point where they had like a company wide memo it was like please stop making the Aboleth behind everything it's like really predictable now uh, like lizard men yeah, kind of like our version of the lizard men pulling the strings. Except the Aboleth are uh, so old, they predate the gods. And it's people always ask, like, oh, the gods died. Doesn't that mean, like, everything stops working? And the gods only existed for a geological blink. The Aboleth were there when they were born, and they were there when they died. And they'll be there long after. So, Does the Aboleth count as a god, and do I have to kill it? I think you have to look inside your heart to find that answer. All right, I'll think deeply about it. I think you missed your opportunity to kill it, and that was uh, partway through this. He said season. we'd see it again. <laughs> I will get my, I'll get my vengeance. <laughs> okay, your vengeance on them for existing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh huh. Um. So, what's the next question here? Uh, I think this one's for Chris Carbax Reltnark at Dark Kent underscore R on Twitter asks, "How dare you kill Ambassador Respect?" You made the death cannon that aimed at the solitaire and then didn't create enough cool solitaire characters that someone meaningful had to die that wasn't a master respect. You all are complicit together. So it's my fault. Austin Austin asked you and you said he should die. Nah, someone significant had to die there. There is no other significant solitaire in the solitaire government that we knew of. It was was necessary. Mm -hmm. It's a wound that gapes open in my heart, an abyss that 
gnaws at me as I sleep, and it's something I'm going to have to live with. So it's the party's fault for not having gotten more involved in the bureaucratic day-to-day operations of the Saul government. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never done anything wrong, so... Next time someone needs to get an internship, <laughs> clerkship, and just really get into the, <laughs> the bureaucracy over there. Um, I actually, I admire Chris greatly for his ability to just do what needs to be done, narratively speaking. I often feel like I pull my punches too much. A good example near the end there was when I talked myself into not killing Laura's dragon. Yeah. That she summoned yeah. against the rules. I, I, yeah, let's ignore <laughs> the fact it was against the rules. I totally think you should have killed it. I know. I, I always find myself thinking like, well, maybe I can turn this in the player's favor. Chris is just like, listen, fuck you. I'll, I'll put it this way, Austin, <laughs> particularly toward the end of the season, I would love to have my character die a heroic death and be a martyr because that's always the character that, like, you know, when the season's over, everyone fucking loves is the character that dies in the, you know, in the final couple of episodes. So, like, don't hold your punches. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Adler's approval ratings doubled after her death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we made her a martyr. Um, so next question. A lot of these are going to be accusatory, I feel. <laughs> oh, that's so fun, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, Philip K. Thick. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Philip K. Thick uh, at Nameless Wretch on Twitter asks, asks, I want excruciating detail on the Illithid homeworld and also the Abeleth quest, which we touched on. Um, so the, the Illithid are one of the most popular, iconic D&D things. There are going to be, I guess, the major antagonists in the next D&D game, Baldur's Gate 3, which was revealed, like, literally two weeks ago as of this recording. Uh, so, partly, I was working off the fact that there should be familiar to most characters. So it's also, like, why we use, you know, elves and dwarves, because they carry a certain uh, cachet that the audience, where you don't need to lay that groundwork. I do agree it would have been interesting to see the far realm where they live, but... We, I think you recruited most of the reasonable illithids we were going to see. Most of the rest of them would have just been like, exterminate. Because that's that's really the role in the lore. Does anybody have any thoughts about how the illithids were handled? Lauren, you're the illithid specialist. I've always loved you since season three, you know, the little squid boys. Um, I'm fine with it because I had two illithid sons that are very strong and love me very much. <laughs> so, like, I'm fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Everyone, all the other illithids can suck it. Yeah, I, 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 I like that we, we had enough friendship with, with the Illithids that we had on the team that we were able to like work towards a goal and not just have the Illithid war be an eternally going on thing. Like it's I, I'm glad that we made some headway on that that, even if we even if we didn't necessarily go to the Illithid homeworld and go, Hooray, we convinced everyone to be on board with our hive mind plan. Well, and I think it's interesting to have the Illithid presented as something other than just a devouring force. Mm. Because a lot of interpretation, you know, of Illithid present them as mindless beings, which they're not. Yeah. You, you know what convinced me to give them a chance this season? It was Austin's inclusion of one in season three of Dice Funk, who mm. was... Someone we had to break out of a prison and we had lots of interaction with because we were trapped in a town with them. And that gave some really interesting context and said, like, oh, okay, no, like, Austin wants to do something more interesting with the Illithids, which is why I didn't just assume the whole species were devourers and that was it. How'd you like that foreshadowing with the time tech that he had, though? That dagger milk shit he had in season three. What up? Austin, you are too good at stories. <laughs> um so yeah i think if we would have went to the illithid homeworld it would have been like the end of half-life where you're like i guess this is a cool change of pace but also 
I don't have any frame of reference for all this weird shit, and they, they just want to kill me, so it's not really adding a lot of nuance. Um, we could have made it work. We're smart, but uh, I don't. I think the choices you made ultimately were very satisfying, and they would have had to been traded off. So, uh, well, also I think it's pretty funny that like that all kind of came down to me rolling insight poorly. Oh, on Objectivus? Yeah. <laughs> I, I talked about this before, but sometimes I run uh, combat encounters with real people uh, just to check my math and stuff because I do a lot of custom work on the encounters. I'm a real person. Huh? I'm a real person. I'm in... Fucking in, God. <laughs> <laughs> in meat space with people sitting at a table with me. And when I did um, that first mission with Objectivist and Courage, because these people understand D&D the way it's usually played not on a podcast they didn't trust courage or objectivists and killed both because they're like they're monsters they give xp when i hit them right like they're full of gold and points that yeah, I, I love we we definitely don't play D&D the way that the rule book would lead you to believe it should be played we want to be horny and we want to make friends <laughs> but yeah so i feel like lauren choosing to befriend objectivists changed so so much and in hindsight it should be so obvious that if you give a tiny thing to lauren she's gonna love it but when i made it i was like oh this is a really interesting choice do you trust this alien who's trying to feed you to animals or this assassin who has like a mysterious background and like it's like it's such a cool dynamic thing in my head and when you get there lauren's like which one's cute (laughs) (laughs) that's so me um so next question uh Paco at Paco, and then a bunch of numbers, 987654321. Oh, it's just counting down. I'm dumb. Uh, asks, <laughs> did you did you go harder on the players because of their success in securing allies? I assume that's about the um, the HMS civilization and those death lasers at the end. Uh, no. In fact, I, it was much easier for them because they had so many targets. If they only had like three allies, then that's a 33% chance that any given person is going to die. Uh, with 10, I mean, there's only a 10% chance Objectivist is going to get hit, and even then only so much that he's going to die from it. So. What, what you're saying is that the way to have not lost anyone in the final battle is to only recruit the dragons that can take a big hit and that will recover fine, and to not make friends with anyone squishy. I mean, I'm not saying that explicitly, but the more meat shields you have, <laughs> the better mathematical chance your most favorite yeah. characters survive. We've- we we would like you to join our crew, but we you know we don't have a good uh, tough to squishy ratio right now, so sorry. But yeah, it was a big war, and I I wanted it to feel like it had real consequences. I'm I'm reminded of the recent um Magic the Gathering arc, the War of the Spark, and where, where a lot of people were disappointed. You're like this was supposed to be like the war to end all wars, and like one named character died. So I had that kind of in the back of my mind, thinking here like. If these things kill billions of people and devastate multiple planets and, like, no one you know dies, it kind of feels like a Saturday morning cartoon. So I had to go a little hard, but you guys played so well that it barely affected. I mean, we love Ambassador Respect and we treasure him, but... He can suck a dick. It could have been worse. <laughs> Damn. Throwing shade, though, at uh, Dak Faden and Domri, man. All right. One important character, whatever. I, <laughs> I forgot I, about I that. I was ready embraced for character death in the finale. I thought it was coming. Dak Faden didn't even get a card. He had them a conspiracy. Nerd, stop! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lauren. I was ready for the captain to go down with the ship. Oh, dang. I mean, Big Star almost fucking did. Can we yeah. recap real quick that fight? So he went down. I stuck the machete in his chest. That's two saving throws, which means on the next turn... Uh, so, which was drags uh, at the end of his turn I could have legendary action to stab Big Star again and he's dead even with 
the captain's healing spirit. But it's because Dreg used uh, Lay on Hands, he came up immediately. But like, I was really thinking like the the correct tactical move is to kill Big Star. If Dreg would have just let it happen, even with with mm. Captain Melbeck's intervention, and I, I seriously considered it, it ultimately didn't matter because Dreg laid on hands. But Big Star came as close as a person can come to dying. Yeah, no, like I, it totally would have been the right tactical move to have been made, and it would have been narratively satisfying. But Dreg wouldn't have allowed it to happen. So. No, of course not. None of our crew would. We all loved each other. Let's see here. Vin Yost at Vin Yost on Twitter asked, what was the most interesting thing you each did to try and create the world of your character and their backstories? I watched a lot of BuzzFeed Unsolved and they just had a Mothman <laughs> episode and I was like, the I one, love Mothman. The one with the statue with the Mothman butt. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, bird, why not? <laughs> That's your process. I, I honestly... <laughs> I, I, I came around to my character largely because I wanted an excuse to use a character voice. Um, oh, it had the sort of, uh, the drunk, drunk sherry, uh, I refer to it as the sherry lady voice. It, used, it, it was a voice I used to use with my fiancé where we would pretend to be two drunk old ladies. And I wanted an excuse to make that into a character. I liked the idea of someone that it would sort of clash with, where it wouldn't seem like the kind of voice that would come out of them. So GIF, you typically expect to have sort of lower lower pitched voices. And I honestly just sort of built it out from there. I wanted to play a different kind of character that wasn't a spellcaster for a season, because I always play spellcasters. So once I had this sort of colonialist, drunk hippo, bounty hunter just seemed like the sensible choice for them drinking people under the table made sense for how she's getting her information. That 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 was where it came from. It all sparked from a voice that I wanted an excuse to use. <laughs> uh, I think it, I mean, the main thing I guess that I can go back to is I, I when I create my characters, I generally try to create like uh, somewhere between like two to three NPCs who are significant to their backstory. And I try to change up like the levels to which that, those characters have a relationship with my character so like last season i had a parental figure who was this negative influence and a best friend who's a good one and then with this season with olivia i was like i want a villain is my i told also i want a villain who has like a personal history with my character and uh did not expect that it would end up being the final antagonist of the season or anything like that but that was that was sort of the large basis of how i built olivia as i wanted a backstory that would leave her to have some relationship with a, a villain who could still be a presence in her life into the story itself. And so the most popular beloved villain in Dice Funk history, go, the credit goes to Chris. It's fine. God damn it, no. I'm not bitter. It's fine. <laughs> no, 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 it's me. Everyone suck my dick. I killed all the gods. And I like how uh, I gave him his name, and Austin still found a way to tie it into his nerdy fucking baby <laughs> convention. <laughs> I win. Well, good luck with it next season, Austin. Yeah, Chris is coming out guns blazing. You guys don't even have any idea. I've looked at the character sheets. Well, I think Lauren has one NPC. I don't know if uh, Laura or Conrad have any off the top of my head. Chris has like four. I have three. I, I, Thank you I very much. I don't think off the top of my head, but I, I need to come back to you about something after this, Austin. I had a little idea. My character is deliberately designed to have none. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Conrad, anything about Drake's backstory you want to share? Uh, yeah, well, for Drake, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to play a big dummy. <laughs> like, that was seriously my, my primary uh, motivation. And so from there, I was like, all right, well, what are things that big dummies are good at? And that me that sort of led me on to the protection uh, angle. And I was like, okay, so how does somebody get to that point? Uh, the conduit thing came from that. Um, and the uh, organized crime idea came when I was looking at character classes and I saw a paladin and I thought, well, you know, what what is a different sort of context under which paladins could function uh, ideologically? And so that was how all of that came in. Sick. Yeah. Uh, Viola Violet at Viola Violets on Twitter asks, what player decision uh, surprised you the most? I, I really enjoyed and was super like impressed and intrigued with the decision to have Drake kill the one Bionoid and mm. then kind of lie about it yeah. and keep it a secret. I thought it was a super interesting choice. It was it was really interesting to follow up. We, we never really got to see it play out in terms of like it having a resolution on Drake, but I definitely think the the effect it had on Olivia was really interesting. And on Courage. And the sort of subtext it created. I think there's also still a really interesting part to that because everyone in the party found out about it except for Olivia because of the hive mind. Yeah. So I, I don't think Drake feels guilt. I don't think I don't know if he's capable of it, but it, <laughs> it is interesting to consider that like Drake does have to, and the rest of the party kind of have to go on knowing that that was a secret that Olivia never got to know. When, um, when my character was sort of having majorly fucked up with getting involved with Ragnar initially, there was there was a moment where the captain was trying to almost do like a bit of a speech, and then uh, Conrad sort of very starkly interrupted his Drake, and it was a very abrupt moment that like really. As a player, it really threw me. I, I wasn't expecting it, and it, it it was difficult as a player. Do we want to talk about that whole entire thing? Because that was such an important yeah. dynamic, and also yeah. I think difficult personally. Yeah, we'll get we'll get back to it in a second. Like, but I I think that ultimately it was really strong for the uh for, for the character in the arc and for what it did for those two characters. But yeah, that that was really difficult personally. That whole thing. Because I think it's it's very important, uh, not just because it really characterized both Liam Meyer and Dreg, but making the uh, found family kind of motif feel earned. Mm. Because it's it's so common in not just D&D, just like all fantasy media. It's like, oh, we, we joined together to defeat the evil. Now we're like a family. Anyone can do that. Yeah. But actually seeing you fight like for real to the point where off screen, like you were kind of upset as a person yeah. uh, and then overcome that was like, oh, no, this this is this is real. Yeah, like to to talk a little bit about it, like what was going on off screen. Um, I I was really struggling early in the season with like I I sort of without thinking too much volunteered to to take the role of captain, and then I I felt like I was carrying a lot of weight from that. Um, I felt like any time plans didn't work out or things within the party went wrong, I felt like a lot of that weight fell on me. And I, I really was like genuinely struggling with feeling like I was fucking things up for the team, and that was that. There was a lot of very real stuff that ended up getting channeled into my performance of the character because I had a lot of shit I was trying to work out, and it was it was difficult. There was a lot of feelings going on. There there were a few um 
heated emotional conversations that looking back on, I'm like, okay, I would have handled that very differently. But there was a lot of feelings happening around that arc. But like, it, it ultimately made me feel a lot more connected to this season's cast of characters getting through that, I think. Yeah, I, it was one of the most important things I think we did all season was actually show that these are real people with disagreements, but that they could work through it because they actually did have a connection. But uh, as far as uh, surprising moments, I thought of one and I know this didn't actually happen, but it was a decision that was made. And it was during the uh, purest arc when at first Lauren was going to let everyone die. Oh, yeah. And then you changed your mind and plugged the hole. That actually did shock me, Austin, because it, it felt very out of character for Lauren. <laughs> really? Yeah, not that you aren't a being of chaos, because you are, but I feel like you um you have a pretty constant anxiety about doing the wrong thing. You don't want people to be mad at you or to yeah. like criticize you. And it felt, felt like you would normally have been like, well, that letting people die seems bad. And you were just like, no, it's fine. <laughs> Well, also, I mean, uh, pretty early on in this season is when I started on my, like, antidepressants. Mm -hmm. So, like, my, I, everything, I feel like I've changed a lot. I don't know, it's weird. Brains, how do those work? I, I don't think that's weird. Like, I, I often feel like, we've done, like, three seasons together now, and, like, all three seasons I felt very, like, a very different person by the end of the season. yeah. We're all doing something very special. I don't think we should take that for granted. This is like yeah. a story we're all telling together in front of thousands of people. And like when our lives are over, it'll be like a thing we had done and that per persists beyond us. It's pretty God, God, cool. It's, it's, it's probably like one of the proudest things I look back on that I've been a part of creating. I'm like, oh, that's a story that exists now that we made. One of the things uh, that surprised me was when uh, there was the Jacqueline fight. Mm hmm. You came so hard, and I was just like, whoa, what did I do? Like, I was like, is he mad at me for real? I do like how I can describe people being butchered by the millions, like the world ending, gods dying, and people are like, yeah, yeah, cool, fantasy adventure. And then I'm like, you fucking bitch. And people are like, that was too intense for me. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's the thing, he gets personal, that shit. Well, and I've known Austin for so long. Uh-huh. 13 years now? Too many. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was just, I wasn't expecting that level of like anger because Austin's never mad. Mm -hmm. It was wild for me. Um, any other surprising things or should I move to the next question? I was really surprised that uh, when Olivia died off screen. Mm, we have a lot of questions about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll get into it. But like, I... <sighs> there, there's the part of me that always assumes when we play this... If you do things fast enough and do things right, you can uh, you can stop the bad thing happening. And I know that that's not how life works. Like sometimes there just is no way to stop the bad thing happening, but it still caught me off guard. Yeah, I feel like uh, mostly video games has kind of uh, warped the part of our brains that uh, enjoys stories. Maybe my generation specifically, because you know in a video game you're the main character everyone's like oh you're so strong you're so brave you can do anything and then you can and <laughs> nothing can stop you and that's most fiction doesn't work like that a lot of people fail like yeah. you know ha hamlet doesn't actually bring his dad back at the end <laughs> sometimes you fuck up <laughs> failure is interesting like i i always think of a story with some failure is better and like i like that we that we couldn't have saved olivia i think it was narratively fascinating but i didn't see it coming 
See, I was like, I didn't necessarily see it coming, but also when it happened, I was completely not surprised. Because you know Chris. Because I know Chris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, of course. Next question, Harrison Andrew at Chakotay1703 asks, did the purists actually have some dark secret or were they really just as friendly as they appeared? Um, Yeah, I, th- I think they were what they looked like, which was people trying to find spiritual enlightenment. It was basically like a monastery. Compassion was literally trying to give people the heaven that they wanted. Um, Some of them were dangerous, but that's because some people wanted them dangerous. And it was kind of a deliberate subversion of like the spooky cult yeah. uh, storyline that is so pervasive in D&D. One of... You could argue my very pretentious, assholish uh, obsessions is taking D and D and trying to improve it. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the origin of the no dungeons, no dragons thing, which obviously has been changed to only interesting dungeons and only interesting dragons. But only so people will stop calling you out. Can, yeah. can, can I make a thing canon? Uh, Liam Moira totally goes back to that monastery at some point to go play more card games with her card game friend. Mm-hmm. I imagine Sasha wants to go back and troll Bupe. <laughs> Oh yeah, and that and that how to OZ that I terrified. Yeah. <laughs> no, I took him and flung him into the light dimension. Oh yeah. He's part of my team. I forgot to pick up the house though. Um Summer Duck at B Duck underscore quack uh, asks, What is what is Half Lord Grunderson first of his name's backstory? Um I think I might have mentioned this on the Discord, but that's a character my brother made for our real life in person D D thing. And he really was as every kind of like quest happened adding to his name so the friend of centaurs it's because in the game he saved some centaurs from a monster or something and so he added that to his name and that was like the joke of his character and i wanted a uh gif to represent the more quote-unquote stereotypical gif to contrast with leah moira uh who is very much not like the way they're written in the lore and to have that them as foils and the way my brother played half lore was like just exactly like gif or written so i kind of just stole it from him um What's what's he gonna do? Suck on that, Tyler. <laughs> this is fun. Teak at LT underscore K asks, which season five character would you like to be friends with in real life? And it's obviously Melbeck, who is the only chill person <laughs> in the entire show. She just wants to make friends with everyone. She wants to meet interesting people. <laughs> I'd be friends with Sasha. I'd be friends with Sasha. I want to go on cool cryptid hunting missions. I mean, Sasha's just like me, but a bird. Yeah, I I would spills. I I would happily just sit and binge watch um, BuzzFeed Unsolved with Sasha like for hours. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's a great time. Oh yeah, I I think I have hung out with Sasha. I'm. <laughs> Whoa, hold on. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've met that person. Um, yeah. No, I yeah, I don't drink anymore, so hanging out with Leah Moira is that's fair. She I, I think she could yeah. respect, you know, and be like, No, 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 it's cool. Oh yeah, I oh, yeah. drink around people who don't drink. But I don't I don't go out, I don't leave the house, so I don't I don't even hang with people. Canonically so I, speaking, I all my characters smoke weed. Whether Austin <laughs> wants them to or not. It's not that I didn't want them to, it's just every season Lauren hands in her character sheet and is like, they love weed. And I was like, yeah, I think it's implied at this point. You're really gotta go into it every time. Yeah, they're poly, bi, and they love weed every time. This is one for Chris. Let's get him in the mix. Moomba at Moomba Station asks Moomba. Moomba. What did Olivia's conduit change to in the end? And I guess this is a part where if you don't want this answer, maybe skip ahead a little bit. When I was originally writing everything, I was like, oh, okay, so you know, this big decision happens, Olivia's conduit's going to change. And uh, I knew what it was changing to. 
Uh, but as I was writing out, I was like, eh, you know, this this comes off clunky if she just says it. And it's 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 certainly better written and more interesting if she doesn't say it. And I personally find that any kind of media that is longstanding that has things like it that leaves questions unanswered at the end is is immensely more interesting because of it because it gives you something as a viewer to sort of digest and discuss and think about after the show and there's there's something really tangibly more valuable from that than just having things told to you in my perspective so i initially was like okay cool it'll be something for the audience to kind of think about the side and a lot of people have and a lot of people have put in really good answers almost all of them are actually better than the real answer so that's partly why i was like oh yeah we don't really need to go into it but a lot of people uh feel that i would be super pretentious and being very uh dodgy in answering it so they're like, I want the answer. I must know the answer. So I will give it to those people, but I will stress. You are going to enjoy this more if you don't know the answer. The Sopranos ending, I think, is great. It is infinitely less interesting now that the creator has gone out and said how it actually ended. So once you hear it, you can't go back. Wait. And yeah, no, he did. He went out after James Gattolfini's death. He said what happened. Oh, I I'm gonna mute my headphones because like I I <laughs> the way you've put it there I I wouldn't want to know how the Sopranos ended after the cut to black so someone like message me in Skype after this has been said I, I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna give it like a long explanation or anything like that because it's it's not really bare to that but this is just for the people who are like yeah I I have like an insatiable desire to know the answer I wish I could skip it but I have to edit this so I'm gonna hear it no matter what so. Very quickly, if you don't want to hear this, skip ahead 15 seconds or whatever. Uh, the answer is she became the conduit of disappointment. She had failed oh, shit. in everything she kind of went to at the end. Uh, she gave up everything she wanted to to try to do this mission, and she died in that moment, recognizing that everything had kind of come to an end. Uh, I consider conduit a failure as well, but Skitch had already had an idea that was working with that. So kind of a disappointment failure, rather synonymous with each other. So that's the answer. Oof. That's a mood. Leave it to Chris. Uh, somebody call Laura back in for the next question, because I'm going to answer it now. Bisexual brick-throwing sad boy at, at Cody L. Ralston asks, did Austin get any annoying pedantic messages about how corporal's the second lowest rank in the military, or am I the first? <laughs> <sighs> so... <laughs> I knew, I knew it was wrong, and I said it anyway uh, when you guys broke into the military base, and I was trying to give you a backstory, or not a backstory, like a cover story. Um, I, my, here's how my brain process works, right? Because it's all improv. Everything, I don't write anything down. We're just talking. Um, but I thought to myself, I want to uh, rank we've not used before. We had Private Fortune and General Heller in the last season. We have Captain Melbeck and Captain Babish this season. We have Colonel Cassius Pyre. So I was just trying to think of a rank we hadn't used. Uh, I should have went with Major or Admiral. I said Corporal. That's wrong. Um, idiot. I mean, I'm an idiot, so you got past me. Yeah, I was waiting for it, and my, my literal um, excuse, if someone would have called me on it, would have been like, uh, actually, in the Seoul military, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> But no, nobody did until now. But yeah, that was not the right answer. Um, Jaspel, conduit of fluffiness, at Mr. Kurome on Twitter asks, most loved NPC? Objectivus! Objectivus has to be. <laughs> Objectivus is the NPC that stole everyone's hearts. Maybe Babish. Babish is also good. 
I mean, all, all credit to Laura for Babish. You created him. You gave him his basic personality. I, I, I I'm gonna be honest. I don't think Babish would have become a, a thing had Chris not pushed. Oh yeah. I think I think Chris asked the follow up questions that made Babish come to life because Babish I think would have been forgettable without Chris. That, an interesting thing, and this is almost like a writing tip for aspiring writers out there, is to make people feel a thing, it is sometimes useful to show someone else feeling a thing. This is like the secret behind those uh, YouTube videos, like reacting to stuff, because mm. uh, people often don't know how to feel about stuff the first time they see it. But when you see someone else react a certain way, it reinforces like feelings you may be sorting through. Mm. Uh, so... I think Objectivist is a decent character, not like great. He's just kind of a subversion of the traditional Illithid being small instead of big like you thought and being less evil than perhaps you expected. But Lauren reacting to Objectivist, her joy and glee made us feel <laughs> more attached to him. So it's it's almost like a it's it's not even about what I brought to Objectivist. It's about Lauren's reaction to Objectivist made him more likable. It's because uh, he's baby. He is baby. But that's it's just like a weird psychological thing about writing and people's brains but oh buck i like buck too fuck off so much so i don't remember his name every time i had to ask people i i i really liked ragnar cop i know he was an asshole who like you know fucking fooled me but i i, I like that cop <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think he was a bad person trying to be better and i think it was really interesting yeah. to write and voice him it's also the accent i feel most comfortable doing i really enjoyed i is really enjoyed a, ragnar is that a sign we're going to get more uh drow characters in upcoming seasons i mean uh someday absolutely not next next season which i think anybody who follows us closely knows that uh the next season is planescape based that was talked about in the show and in the discord and on twitter and stuff so it's not a spoiler really uh drow do not figure into planescape so it's going to be at least one season probably more mm. suck it drow yeah, no, I'm trying. I'm trying to remember all the NPCs that were <laughs> in the season. There were a lot, right? Yeah, there were this, a lot. This of isn't NPCs. like season three where we had like eight NPCs and they all lived on one street. I'd be curious what the actual percent, like the difference between the number of NPCs. Because I didn't feel like it was that many more. Um, but maybe it felt like more. I, that's. I mean, if you're considering NPCs as just like the members of the crew, it's probably about the same. But because we went like every planet added like two to three antagonists or yeah neutral characters like but, yeah there was always like 10 people that we had to speak to on a mission that were new people we hadn't met before like we consider that pell three alone gave the the uh, solitaire and the art studio i want to say charity but i can't remember if that's correct or not honesty uh, I, honesty something like that irene and and uh yeah i mean like I like Ambassador Respect, but I'm just, I'm a sucker for a Paul Wynn accent. So, I mean, Paul Wynn voice. It's... Oh my goodness. Chris. Yeah. Please, Chris, always do that voice. I'm not doing it next season. You're going to have to earn it. <laughs> okay. But I love you. Everyone has to earn that voice. How? By allowing me to be pedantic and fun. Fucking mysterious, no questioning my goddamn decisions. Are we not doing that already? Are we not already allowing you to be Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a fucking people. You're punishing us for the audience, and I don't think that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. I need to internalize this guilt somewhere. Speaking of your decisions, question from Pastor of Muppets, very fucking good name, (laughs) at Zodiac underscore 308. Was there any way to save Olivia? And I feel like I, there's a lot of these. I, I'm sorry if I didn't read your specific name because we got like a dozen of those. Um, I think that's not the right way to look at it. Chris, you could probably explain more, but it was a it was a decision. It wasn't like a failure of gameplay. 
No, not really. I, I don't think this basically from the point Olivia was taken back. You almost say once she stabbed herself to, to force an ultimatum on Cassius. Uh, but basically, once she was back at Drift Park, it, it was an inevitable situation. The, he wasn't going to change, and she wasn't going to be able to stomach going back there again. And at that point, like the party wasn't going to be able to interact with her to stop her. Um, it, it's it's one of my, my favorite David Simon quotes, is, is when he's asked about The Wire, and he's like, what's the best feedback you ever got about it? And he's like, uh, that that he didn't lie. And I, I felt that with Olivia, that when it came down to the point where she was going to try to kill Cassius, I was like, I'm going to give her the best shot she's going to have. But once shooting Cassius in the back of the head failed, she wasn't going to win that fight. Just mathematically, narratively, she could not win that fight. So That was actually a good example of another punch I probably pulled. Because by the rules, you pull out a gun on Cassius, he teleports inside you, you die. Yeah, like... Even if it was like for whatever reason Austin decided Cassius didn't either just blow me up or even just teleport inside of her arm and blow that up to keep her from firing a gun, uh, the fact of the matter was she wasn't going to win that fight. She had a negative one to attack, and the entire season has been a journey about exploring how much Olivia is going to destroy herself to yeah. save people, and she was just a battered person by that point. Yeah, uh, she she was a pacifist that was definitely not built for fighting, trying to solo the final boss of the game who failed their sneak attack. Yeah, so yeah. There, there are uh, a variety of certain small things that happened throughout the campaign that eventually led to that point. And you could certainly sit there and question whether or not if Olivia hadn't failed the insight check on the Maxwells, or if the party hadn't had sort of a reaction to her revelation or if we had visited, say, even the cults before Pell 3, maybe Cassius and his group wouldn't have been at that point to kind of be a, a, an impending danger the same way. Maybe these things wouldn't happen. But, I, I mean, those are what-ifs that really kind of detract from discussing, I guess, the narrative at hand. There's something kind of interesting to think about, but I don't think that once you know the train was moving, there was really a way to stop it. Yeah, one of the most common questions we get is like, what would have ha- what would happen if you had done X? And the answer is almost always, I don't know. We would have made something up. And I know that's not satisfying, but the- these choices are so- are so real. I think that's what makes Dice Funk like a very unique addition to the real play podcast genre. Is that we really put so much trust in each other above what other shows are willing to do. Uh, and it's it's uh, incredibly stressful. <laughs> We're all killing ourselves to do this, but I think yeah. it's worth it. Like I I I listen to some other fifth edition or uh, tabletop and and D and D type shows, and most other ones I listen to will at some point have it be clear that something was a pre written thing that shows up, and like that's that's not necessarily bad. I enjoy that sometimes, but there is definitely something vulnerable about. Not pre-preparing anything and just just going with what feels right for the character. It, it can be a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, it it takes a lot of investment and yeah. trust and uh, vulnerability, emotional vulnerability yeah. in front of all these people. But I think it's worth it, and it's what makes our show unique and worthwhile. Um, Christian Castanera at Christ underscore man underscore on Twitter was Conrad at any time worried about having an evil character in a mostly good party. <laughs> Uh, 
no. He says, uh, hiding his evil character sheet for next season. Oh, yeah. If you think if you think Trek was evil, uh, this, yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't really worried about it because the way Dreg was designed as a character, him being evil is only a problem if other people have a problem with him being evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was there to do a job. He's loyal to doing the job. It's his code. Uh, so I wasn't worried about team integration from that perspective, but he was still going to make some pretty evil choices. And, uh, and you know, there were consequences for that uh, among some of the relationships in the party. So I, I think it, it was a, it was something that had a potential to be a problem, but I also, I don't know. I don't necessarily think of somebody that's evil being ineffective or unable to integrate into a group, right? Like, I don't necessarily think that those two things are incompatible. I so mean, I, we all work very well with Lauren. So, hey, it's, it's interesting you say oh. it. There's, there's like sort of go tos that happen, like if you follow. D and D groups and things like that. There's often like situations that create problems, mm. and one of like the biggest ones are like we have a paladin in our group who refuses to let us do anything. They they're too strict. They won't let us like you know take gold from the like the monsters we kill or stuff like that. And then it's like uh, there's an evil member in our party, and none of us can work with them or anything like that. And those extremes are always usually caused because like the offending party there is like kind of intentionally creating the drama mm. whereas like drag was like a perfect example of how both of those like things of like a paladin and uh you know an evil character could absolutely coexist in the party and and still be like just as much of a part of the team that those aren't inherently two things that yeah. can't work together in any way shape I, or form i i think one thing that really helps as well um in in the big picture is that austin always starts the season with some kind of driving force of this is what's pulling your party together and making you a group of people so that we have a, a middle a, a, a common ground so that even if we are arguing we can see like okay we we get why we're arguing though because we have this middle ground like season 3 it was we are all trapped in this town together and we all just want to work out what the heck's going on here season 4 it was we all need money uh, season five, we're all on a ship together. We all have to try and coexist because we're living in a confined space together. Like it helps to have some kind of glue that consists, some theme that runs through the party that keeps them together when those tensions arise and stops them just walking in opposite directions. It's gonna be two weeks, I think, and, uh, until season six starts because there's gonna be a one shot after this. So to give you something to think about over that, the glue next season is very cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 fun. It is it is. It's the least sad I think the glue has been in a while. <laughs> there's no like oh oh we're all poor and everything. That is no, it's a fun glue. Oh, I should I should send you over my character background. I'm I'm excited for your character <laughs> background, comrade. I'm ready. Oh yeah, you already have my shit. We're not even a quarter into the question, so I'm gonna try to speed it up here. Uh, Goblin King Mike at Slime King Mike asks, "What did the last Rygarians end up doing once the season ended? 
Uh, so actually, this almost works as a prequel to Spelljammer in a way. Like I obviously we incorporated a lot of it, but the way that the the Rygar are in canon normal Spelljammer is they've been their planet's been destroyed and they their population has been decimated almost to the point of extinction. And now there's only a couple rare ones. Like seeing one is like one in a billion. They're like one of the most lost species. So we actually kind of made a prequel to Spelljammer. Also. Uh, the Witchlight Marauders, the Maxwells, are, are in canon, if you open the book, look at it, it says, like, they were built for a war, but they're all now supposedly destroyed or lost. So, like, we made the story that leads to how Spelljammer is the way it is almost, almost unintentionally. But, yeah. Um, Drakenmensch, at Drakenmensch on Twitter, asks, how did Dreg manage to break Mr. Greer's second wrist when his conduit should have protected him after being damaged, the, uh, from being damaged the same way twice? Um, I probably should have been clearer, but during the, the episode, what happened was, I think one was a strength versus strength contest, and one was, uh, using your paladin's protection style, def- def- like the defense style, Conrad, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was, it's a, out of character, it was just a mechanical thing. In character, I think he just wasn't fighting you anymore. He was, like, yelling at his daughter and just didn't notice, because his experiences from being a fencer and like when he's in battle he can see your techniques and stuff but out of character they were just different kinds of roles is really what it was and i know that's maybe not as narratively satisfying but he just i guess he wasn't paying attention when he turned to yell at sasha uh ben smoker at dragon nexus asks after everything that had gone on between sasha and jacqueline why did jacqueline give her the information she needed to get to drift park only to utter later utterly resent and hate Sasha for everything she had done. Um, I think context is really important for this. Um, when she gave you the information about the black site, she was trying to uh, avert an intergalactic war. Uh, she was still mad at you, but it was, I'm mad at you, but we have to take care of this and I can't do it through official channels. Go take care of it. And when she was screaming at you, uh, she had just watched everyone she known die her entire community be a zombie apocalypse and like half a dozen planets be utterly annihilated. Uh, you can imagine how stressful <laughs> that must be. And then she was turned into a slug when the bad guy showed up and said, oh, where's your girlfriend? Huh, she didn't come for you. That's weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just think the emotional context is uh, wildly different between those two. Also, I think I rolled really well. <laughs> when I- oh, you had to talk her down? Or no. to, to get the information? Yeah, to get the information. And you were like, God damn it, how could I can't justify not giving it? Yeah, I think you got a 21 to get, to get the information from her. So, yeah, I understand the way it looks. But also, if you had gone to Jacqueline instead of Volhard, once the Maxwell's attacked, um, she would have been like, oh, you came for me first? You really do care. I'm still mad at you, but I'm going to help you fight with my flails, and I'm not a slug because you showed up before Cassius. Oops. But then Drag got them, so good for Drag, huh? And Volhard. Yeah. And good for Volhard. Pip Mason asks, was Cassius always planned to be the big bad at the end of the series, or could have been someone else based on the group's decisions? <laughs> oh, this is an easy one. Cassius wasn't even in the story outline. <laughs> <laughs> Not even a factor <laughs> until Chris made him a factor. Um, I, my, I think the way it probably would have went without Cassius was Jacqueline represents Soul. Uh, there would have been a, a more prominent solitaire leader, and then there would have been an elder brain, and it could have been like a three-faction kind of thing but once Cassius was introduced so once the voice really got under people's skin it was just like it felt more natural and that's just the way it went and he gave him that cool jojo power yeah I th- some people thought he was overpowered or i think literally someone said the mary sue and i'm looking through you know what's the book here 
the Mordekainen's Tome of Foes I have right here by me, and every high-level demon and devil has teleport at will. Uh, it's it's actually kind of a not powerful, besides the exploding people, although you found a way around that. That was more of a... Uh, it was like it was like a Metroid upgrade to open new doors <laughs> more than a fight thing. But it's actually not that cool of a power for a D&D creature to have. It just felt like it because he was like such a bag of dicks. The biggest. Yeah. What do you guys think about Cassius? I feel like he's one of the most uh, popular villains we've ever done. I liked him a lot. He was a punk ass bitch. I, I, I like that. There's something very sad about his story. Uh, I always tried to play it with Olivia that Olivia didn't react to it a lot of the things he was saying uh and kind of had a very exasperated way of dealing with it because she's heard it before you know she spent almost a decade hearing the same speeches and the same kind of ideology and all of her guilt is kind of manifested in this this or rather all of her angst is kind of manifested in this guilt that she she doesn't know how to help him she doesn't know how to like help this guy get over the trauma and the pain that he he suffered from whatever kind of triggered it that crash so I, I thought it was really interesting to see just this this kind of warped, evil kind of commander. It's sort of like if you had made General Heller from season four the antagonist of the whole campaign, just this kind of, you know, this dark soldier. Yeah, I was thinking about having a scene, and I don't know where it would have fit really, but where the party talked to him about his experience, having had a died and came back essentially, because near death experiences are like a real thing. There's an entire genre, especially here in the American South, of like these books written by people who've had near death experience, basically they're, they're like really religious propaganda where like, I saw Jesus and he said, gay marriage is bad or whatever. But if you see these books in like publics or whatever, not so much anymore. It's been a while since I've seen one, but it's like a, it's an entire kind of like narrative with a lot packed in. And I was thinking about having a conversation where he talked about like the, how, how fucking bad it must feel to think you went to war to protect your civilization from some truly evil fucking slavers and then be punished forever because of DD's cause cosmology. And I don't know if he would have been a better villain if he was more understandable and sympathetic. I think some people were like, don't do that. There's a whole like genre of YouTube video about like, stop romanticizing Thanos. But uh, I think there was some of that in there. I like villains that have a streak of humanity. I, I think that I think that's valuable because um, it's really easy to forget that monsters are people. The the example I keep thinking about recently is how I feel about um, Kylo Ren in Star Wars, where I'm like, <laughs> I don't want this person to get redeemed and end up having a, and now he gets the, the he's going to have a romance with Rey and everything's nice. And it's like, s- sometimes someone is like a murderous, evil person and you they they don't need oh, yeah. to get redemption necessarily no 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 uh, it's, yeah it's, that redemption. Thin, it's the thin line between like interesting backstory and making them someone who seems like ah oh, they can be redeemed and uh, it doesn't matter that they they made a nazi army in space it's fine right i really hated him so much yeah I, no sympathy for me but i'm a monster so <laughs> but, yeah, I, I guess I should say when I when I say like it's sad, I don't mean like in a way that I feel bad for him. It's just yeah, in one yeah, of those yeah. like yeah. those tragedies where you're just like it's it's a fucking shame that this is what's happened and this is what you've become. Yeah, uh, this this was bad for everyone. Honest Mario at Honest Mar- or Mario Honest, you reversed it on me there. Uh, doesn't the spell regeneration undo most character damage? 
Um, so that's the reference to at the end when Big Star is uh, so physically injured that you said he never walks again under his own power. Um, this I'll throw it to Chris in a second, but is a pretty interesting problem with all of D and D. Like, how can there be famine when there's a level one spell that makes food? How can there be disease when there's a level one spell that cures all disease? How can there be curses when there's a level two spell that cures all curses? Um, everyone solves this differently or just doesn't address it. Chris, did you have any thoughts vis-a-vis Big Star? Uh, I've always been of the mindset that magic is essentially kind of like a form of medicine and that it can heal the body, but eventually I know in, in 4E games that I used, I, I always called it when a character ran out of healing surges, they've reached threshold. And it's the idea that even though the spell hasn't changed, your body just physically just rejects healing at that point. It, it, it just can't actually process it anymore. And I, I think that when there are certain things that just hit a body in D&D or when one of those things just happens that severely, the body just rejects the ability to like restore to recover from it. Uh, I mean, there's sort of a narrative thing that you have to accept because I mean, there's even just the level of you're like, well, would humans have even evolved in the same way yeah. if we could have invincible organs and unstoppable <laughs> amount of limbs? Essentially, I I think there's a certain degree of this in reality where like. Our bodies are really good at, like, growing new stuff and fixing themselves and repairing, but as we age, the more times our body, you know, heals over heals over cuts and whatnot, it gets worse at doing that over time. Like, the body only has so many times that it can replicate DNA before DNA starts to just fall apart and you die. It's just a thing. We have a hard limit on, on ourselves. We had this conversation in season four as well about how in fiction you demand uh, a certain level of like logic and things, but in real life there's enough food where nobody needs to be hungry and yet people are. It's just like sometimes things aren't allocated fairly. I bet after a devastating multi-solar system war where billions of people died, doctors and people who can do healing magic are in very, very high demand. And maybe Big Star was like, no, go go to them first. And then it was just too late. <laughs> Big Star may have also just never wanted to be healed. I yeah. think yeah. Th- there was there was a real reality when everything had happened. And I knew Big Star was going to live, but I didn't know Sigrid's fate. Where I was like, if Sigrid dies, I think Big Star just goes off to like maybe some kind of quasi job in politics or in the government or something like that. And it's just stated that he's fine, but he lives a very sad life from then. Whereas, like, if he had lost so much and at the end he doesn't even have this hope for, you know, this project future that he had, mm-hmm. that it would be like, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't want that anymore. He's ready to put all of this behind him. I think it's kind of part of the reason why he doesn't go with the crew either. He's like, I was really in this with Olivia for this mission, but war was hell. I hated it, you know? So I'm ready to get out. Um, Harry, punch, uh, parentheses, punch Nazis at death four three. 5431 asks since objectivist was supposed to be a boss fight had this team sided with courage how would that have worked given that he was a tadpole in a jar um so he opened the door for you so you know he has some kind of telekinetic control over the facility he would have attacked you with like security measures until the illithids in the ship showed up and then you would have fought fought some of them that was kind of the boss fight the illithid route was leading to and then after killing them the, you would have basically aggroed the Illithids, who would have been a major villain from then on forward. In the same way, if you had sided with Objectivist against Courage, you would have killed Courage, and then 
the Solitaire would have been a big villain going forward. Siding with both meant both of those factions kind of faded into the background a little bit more than they might have otherwise. So, Friendship. <laughs> I, next time I want to make a really juicy choice, both have to be physically disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> if you make it too small, it'll still be cute. Uh, adorkable smile at adorkable smile asks this season in particular felt like it just demonstrated a lot of ethical quandaries with Invicta members being conduits of peace, freedom, equality, etc. Do you think there was a chance the bastards ever would have sided with them? No, we never say never, right? Like, isn't that kind of the, well, I wouldn't. Oh, well, I don't think certainly as the way that they were portrayed. I, I I've always had a different interpretation of Invicta that a lot of them are racist, but that it's also a, like a veteran organization. Yeah, and that there's a level to that that I can see. And there's like, trust me, there's a whole second season that could have been done on like veteran rights and things of that nature that are just completely ignored. But I, I would just say that once we knew more about Invicta, it probably wasn't going to happen. But I mean, who knows early on? Yeah, and it, it's the the thing is like I take I'm with you on the because you know, veterans organization thing, but it was also a bit militia. Yeah, and mm. that's where it veers into you know, territory that I I want to be compassionate, but it gets hairy. Can, can I give a little bit of a non-American perspective on Invicta? Because <laughs> like from the outside, um, being from England, England really doesn't have the same level of patriotism. Um, like the whole standing up every morning and saluting a flag and repeating a pledge where you pledge to be nothing but in love with your country, that's a really alien thing. Um, and a lot of, like, I, I can understand that it, it's sort of uh, those links to veterans organizations and things like that. But when I see high degree of patriotism, high degree of patriotism is kind of what at least from an outside perspective, seems to fuel a lot of the American love for the American army, which leads to American army veterans. Um, it also leads a lot of the current American... Um, uh, the the rising far-right stuff in America, which is obviously happening everywhere right now as well, but like... It feels like America's very specific brand of patriotism definitely doesn't help the fact that America as a country really does breed a lot of very dangerous people who band together in anger going, everyone's against us, we need to get rid of the people that aren't like us. And I think that, like, that... Part of that view is why I was very anti-Invicta from the outside, is it, it to me, reminded me of a lot of the worst things about American patriotism, when American patriotism goes too far and turns into... A lot of these radicalized white mass shooter types that we see in America. I hope that that's a fair answer to give, and that that doesn't come off wrong. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it, you know, as an American, I'm deeply offended. But, um, <laughs> Sorry. No, but no, but you're right. That's what I mean when I say militia. Like when I say militia, I'm talking about those people within yeah. our own family, because we look at that in a very isolated aspect of our country like there are certain parts of the country and people with certain political dispositions that are more likely to form these groups austin and i live in south georgia aka north florida so 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bad. I, I, I lived in Arizona for a long time. I spent a few years living in Portland, Oregon. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That sounds bad. They have got some militias living around there that are a lot of fun. So, I mean, you, yeah. you mentioned Oregon, but the, them occupying Drift Park was very much a, a, a deliberate parallel with the militia who occupied the, the National yeah. Wildlife Refuge in yep. Oregon. It was I, a real thing that happened. I, I, <laughs> yep. I, I don't know what point in the season I realized this, but I've known for a while that I've been picturing Invicta not as people from Earth, mm-hmm. but specifically people from America. <laughs> I, I, I was like, oh no, this is this is the American we're not happy get out of America people. Oh yeah, I immediately thought like Fox News, Tea Party, yeah. like, all that bullshit. It's weird because I, I, obviously the deck was always going to be stacked against you joining them because they had toxic beliefs, but I also wanted to have some of them be sympathetic. Elizabeth is the main one. Also Jacqueline, who I think you ultimately got way closer to than I thought, like just because Lauren was attracted to her. <laughs> I like big ladies! I I know, but that once again, that's another thing where I should have thought of it ahead of time. But yeah, like there were there were sympathetic people, and if you had sided with Soul, like that the story would then have become about, hey, these veterans actually do need help. Let's get these racists out of here and actually help them. Yeah. Also, the Illithids are doing a bad slavery. We should stop them. Yeah, like that was what I was gonna say, is that we we saw all of like the bad side of Invicta, but as you mentioned earlier, we didn't really investigate like the Illithids. And if we had, we probably would have seen like the bad side of Illithids as well, which would paint a different picture too. So there's, there's, I think a campaign. I think we saw the bad side of Ill- We saw the bad side of Illithids. It was the brain eating. Yeah, we we didn't see like the slavery and the like the brain eating sort of conquesting side of them very much. So it's there's probably a different side of this campaign too, where I don't know. Lauren is sick. It doesn't like objectivists, and that things happens. <laughs> Lauren is sick. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. If you guys side with Jacqueline over subjectivists, the next couple of missions are going into the far realm and killing the most vicious, evil elder brains to dismantle their war machine, while learning more about Invicta and their struggles. And you know, obviously, Cassius and Kaiser are not savable people, but Elizabeth, uh, Jacqueline, and then probably just most of the randos are open to being swayed. And that's that's an entire other story we could have told. But I mean, I. It was doomed as soon as Subjectivist was my son. Like, uh huh. I had to get his brother back. You did. Uh, once again, completely um, out of my control. You could have killed Objectivist in the first mission. You could have recruited him, and, but then never earned his trust. There's so much that could have happened. Um, next question Chaosabalu. Chaos at Chaosabalu asks each person's favorite conspiracy. And this is the part for your answer where I v- reveal. The last nine months have been an enormous bamboozle upon Lauren. What? Um, there's basically nothing you did with the conduit of conspiracy that you couldn't have done without it. You could have used a downtime to put the nut button in courage. You could have used a downtime to make the sun gun. You could have used a downtime to put a inflatable raft in your bag. In a way, what the conduit of conspiracy was was a psychological trick to make you more comfortable with creativity. That's so rude. <laughs> I was I think it was very helpful for you to feel like you had permission to embrace your ideas. Yes, that's true. I have a big time imposter syndrome over here. Mhm. So, yeah, fuck you though, man. <laughs> I mean, we did. It's not like I foisted it on you. And also the timing stuff does help, but... Yeah, no, it was... I'm shook. I got bamboozled. It it definitely did help not having to 
being able to plan things that you couldn't have known for, but... <laughs> also, I don't know, I feel like I work better on the fly. Mm-hmm. Because my brain's like, oh, no! That is you, yeah, it's your basic mode. But what about everyone's favorite conspiracies? I mean, I like the sun gun, obviously. Yeah. The sun gun was amazing. That's hard to beat. I don't know if I was able to top that. Gotta love that, 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 that sun gun. All time. I still think the courtroom scene fight in season four is my favorite moment in Dice Funk history because that it was so electric, the way we were oh. all building off each other, and also none of us knew we were coming. Uh, me and Lauren both knew about the sun gun beforehand, and also I think Laura. Yeah. So there wasn't that r- yeah. that raw energy of, oh my god, what is happening? Oh, oh the, the, uh, the courtroom scene in season four worked as well because, like, Everyone had a part to play, and we were all throwing every trick in the bag we had, and no one knew which way it was going to end up. I I just love that the bullet went like a square. <laughs> oh my god, the, the fucking the fucking like that that moment was still so well orchestrated. Yeah, I I mean I think season four is probably my best work. Um, not to, not to, I'm very proud of what we did this season, but I think it's I basically took Spelljammer and made improvements to it, but. I think season five is probably the best player character work. Like all of you brought your A game. All the characters were likable yet complex. Like you killed it. I think I did a relatively mediocre job this season, but season four is like, you could play that a dozen times and it would never work out the same. You ally and betray and put the different branches and contest against each other and stuff like that's So dynamic. And here I was like, what if there was a bad guy and you beat him up? <laughs> like it was a pretty, you know, I'm, I, I liked it, but it, it wasn't very, very um, ambitious, as opposed to what you guys did with your characters, which is wild and unforgettable. It's probably my best work, other than maybe season three. That was very challenging. That was more uh, very ambitious. It was. I think my. F- also, my brain is better now. <laughs> Powerful. Brain. I think my favorite conspiracy is that OJ Simpson's kid might have actually had done it. Oh my god, that's the dumbest fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't even don't even talk to me about that Chris. i know uh, uh jade at jade the thief hello jade asks uh that's also f- for the who doesn't remember the voice of the the last time on dice funk this season uh asks was there more to the story with cassius's crashed ship and the trip to stone route to get the gorfanax flails um so i think some people picked up on this but in some ways uh season five was kind of the Force Awakens to season one's A New Hope. Because it's about, I mean, they're both kind of about colonialist powers trying to take over a weaker uh, place. And there's a, a, a flesh creature in a quarry. And also just Jacqueline has Ronaldo's flails from season one. He was the protagonist of season one, essentially. <laughs> he was way more important than any of the other characters. Um, so it, it was a deliberate uh, parallel. I don't know if there was any like, secret lore necessarily just that they went there and Jacqueline got the flails um so i the the, the parallels are deliberate it was a kind of a reimagining like what if uh the thing in the quarry could be defeated and so, for those who haven't listened to season one spoilers something's in the quarry it gets out and then we all die <laughs> it was total party wipe season over but this was like what if not that i feel like this is the happiest ending we've had yeah, we had Total Party Wipe, season one. Is there, I'm just going to spoil all the seasons. Season two, Total Timeline Wipe. <laughs> I did my best. Season three, Total Pantheon Wipe. Season four, Total Politics Wipe. <laughs> it was always a t- TPK every time. Total Politics Kill. And this 
this time a bunch of people died, but it was mostly a story about good guys, bad guys, and then you fought at the end and you won, which and is the friends we made along the way. I I think what largely helps is that the the player character death that happened happened far enough out from the ending that it's like ah, it's, it's fine, fine. The ending was okay. It's fine. Uh, David at Hydralisk on Twitter asks, you've mentioned that the Spelljammer lore is bonkers. What's the most ab- stupid or absurd thing from the universe you came across while you were coming up with this season? Um, we could do two more Spelljammer series <laughs> and not get through all of it. Um, we only got a tiny taste of the Niyogi, who are kind of like the main villains of Spelljammer, replacing the Illithids, who get kind of uh, toned down. Um, I think for me, the dumbest, most stupid thing is... The Contemplator, I believe they're called. It's a kind of alien which sits all day in the pose from the thinker. Oh my god. Jesus Christ, Gary. And it contemplates the universe all day. That's all it does. And that's the entire identity of that entire alien species. Uh, I've, I've recently been replaying the Ace Attorney games, and I'm amazed how many times they can murder someone with the thinker. <laughs> a lot of, like, three murders in a row. <laughs> but yeah, Spelljammer is full of extremely dumb stuff. Partly it's, like, production uh, background. Like, they, it was kind of rushed, and there wasn't they weren't given a lot of resources, and it was never intended to be, like good it was kind of just a cash in but uh sometimes it's so stupid that it's interesting and sometimes it's just regular stupid i can fix the or i, I guess i can salvage the interesting things from the Witchlight marauder and make it fun and dynamic but i don't know that i could have fixed the contemplator i think that might have just been dead on arrival oh i've i've got a question for you mm-hmm. did you have any thoughts in mind on like could could we have found a happy ending for the for the for the Witchlight? I think you did. Yeah. yeah. He got to eat everything. Hi. Good for him. Yeah, it, it exists. And it's learning. That's all it really wants insofar as it wants anything. I, I was wondering if there was like, a, could we have worked out what it was and got it home to its whatever? I don't know. Yeah, didn't Big Star take it? Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose, yeah. It was left on Fairmat last we saw it. Um... I think there was some talk about like where it came from. Like Big Star's like, I want to go to the light dimension is what we called it. I mean, it was created by the conduit of creation from, I guess, the form stuff, the world of form. So really Big Star is trying to fling himself into Plato's world of forms. Um, but th- asking what the wish light wants is kind of missing the point of it. It's del- it's almost Lovecraftian in that it's outside of human experience. It doesn't want in the same way we do it. It's deliberately just like, what's the most alien, unrelatable thing it can be? But he's still our little buddy. I'm like, was there a way to work out what 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 it wanted in the way that it wants things? I, I... He's got a whole planet. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the happiest ending I can imagine for it. I, I mean, obviously everything's always on the table, but I don't think you guys failed. I think you let it take apart all kinds of interesting things. Yeah, he got to go in some cool pants. He got to take things apart and then also find a thing it couldn't take apart and go, ooh, what's that? Yeah, just mostly slugs. Um, boop, 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 boop. Uh, Andrew HM at 1995, Andy HM asks, the scale of season five was immense. How are you expanding it or will you at all? Would you ever consider going back in scale or in time? Um, so I don't have any plans now to go back in time. We're going to keep going forward. As far as I know, I work two years ahead of time. Um, I, first, I want to put aside the question of scale, get back to that in a second. I want to say that I think people think about time as being like technology levels. And I think that's a kind of like a, almost like a chauvinist way of looking at it. Like 
the Chinese had gunpowder hundreds of years before anything else. There are people in 2019 who don't have clean water. Like t- technology levels are fake. That's not a. It's just not a thing. It's just a way of understanding our world from a position of privilege. Um, so I don't think the technology, as we understand it, is going to ever get more advanced. I think what going forward we're going to have to contend with is a different understanding of culture. That's so so vague. I'm sorry. Next season is going to be Planescape, which does not have any interest in what's going on in the prime material plane. It's an entire other level of existence. You'll see next time. It's angels and demons and stuff of that nature. It just doesn't relate. And then going forward, we'll like time will go forward linearly, but it's not going to just be like more sci-fi. Um, does any of that make sense? Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as far as scale goes, you guys said there's a lot of NPCs and people are saying the scale was immense. I felt like I made a pretty simple story. Like there's four levels, right? Like Fairmont, Pelo three, Gloria, Hypatia. Like if you were playing a video game, you'd be like, Hmm, guess they didn't really hit those Kickstarter goals. Where are all the levels? But uh, do you guys th- also think the scope was big? No, I feel like it was very similar to season two or season four. It'd be like, this mis- there's a mission and a break and a mission and a break. And it kind of felt... It felt very similar to that, just in space. Each of the four levels, each of the four planets, had its own multiple locations within it, within that, like... I think if you, it's easy to compare it to, say, Season 3 and go, Season 3 was a town. You had a handful of places within the town, but you could conceptualise, like, it's all in the town. It's one, like, one set of locations. Season 4, uh, season four was a very big city. You still had multiple... Uh, I, I don't know, something about Season 5 felt more spread out, and I think it's because, like, if you're doing the spider web, you've got to go, here's your four planets, but then here's your... these places on the planet, here's your people that interact with that place. Like, there were more points that spread out and diverged more. There was more things you had to remember where that fits in with that and how that connects with that. I feel like that speaks really well of the immersion, that it felt like a big universe instead of just four levels you picked from a level selection screen. So that's heartening for me to hear that it, yeah. it felt big to people. because it felt, it felt like a sprawling a sprawling web, even if now I describe it, there probably weren't more actual locations, but they felt further apart <laughs> and more... I think it... Yeah. It also helps that we went back to every location more than once. You know, we didn't just visit Fermont and we never went back. You know, we visited Fermont, then we went back there for the initial start of the Sun mission and everything like that. You know, with season four, there are plenty of locations we never went back to. We never went back to the wrestling ring. You know, we never went to back to Beatrice's office after doing a, a heist there and things like that. So there, there's a level of just like replayability i guess <laughs> to a certain extent where it's like mm-hmm. you know we got to go back to this mission because there was enough established there there was enough of a unique identity and flavor to this area that there's things that we could still narratively do here or it progresses us forward onto our goals well we went to like four or five locations on gloria alone yeah right like that was yeah, kind of the main planet yeah you know and then pell three had multiple locations uh and and that's that place just that felt kind of like a big space. Uh, and Fermat, yeah, we re- we used the hell out of Fermat for a wasteland <laughs> planet. I know. It's defined by not having anything interesting, and we spent a lot of time there. It's fun. I, I have a question for you now, Austin. Uh-oh. What kind of underwear you wear? No. Uh, so, in every 
sort of thing. We when, you, when we're presented with the two binary choices of we're going to place A or place B, and you always tell us like just understand there's consequences to going to place A instead of place B, and vice versa. It, you know, vis-a-vis things will happen at the other location we don't go to that we then can't really respond to. And you mentioned that because we went to Pell 3 first, we were able to get to Grundy and everything like that. I'm curious what would have been the big change would have happened if we had done the cult mission first as opposed to second. Uh, if you had gone to Compassion first, uh, Cassius wouldn't have been there. Okay. Yeah, who knows how that would have turned out, huh? Yeah, I wonder when we actually would have met him at that point then. Yeah, the, once again, the unsatisfying answer is I don't know. But um, yeah, c- consequences are real as fuck. Um, let's see. Jane Aerith Magnet at Maniac Janiac on Twitter. Oh, that's my Jane. <laughs> uh, asks, hey, Jane. Hello. Uh, Austin, do you have any? Did you have anything planned that you were really disappointed when the players went the other way? Uh, and Talora, which species did you hope Liamiru would smooch but missed out on? Laura, uh, why don't you start? Oh, uh, oh, what do I, what do I miss that that could have been smooched? Um, I don't think she ever got to, to smooch a solitaire. Mm. And and with with the whole uh, the whole suits thing with the the the, the various uh, creations, that, that that could have been fun. I don't know how you kiss someone in a in a in a in a big uh, graphene suit. Dr. Adler knows. Well, I suppose so. <laughs> I say they probably come out of the graphene suit, and that if they come out of the graphene suit, that's a whole you know big act of uh, vulnerability, which is you know that's that's a that's a big exciting thing for smooching. Mm-hmm. Are y'all saying Dr. Adler fucks? <laughs> Chris, does Dr. Adler fuck? I was suggesting more to the fact that she's dead, so she did know what it was like oh. for the smooch. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And no, she doesn't. But yeah, no, yeah, she wants she wants to smooch one of them solitaire. Come on, get out, get out of that shell. Let's do a smooch. I made a motorcycle out of swords for you. <laughs> for who? <laughs> oh yeah, you didn't smooch it. Who? I could have smooched a motorcycle made of swords. Honor in the cult mission. Oh she, shit! She was in the the cult mission now. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I could. Oh. That is the ultimate. That's the ultimate lesbian move: making out with a sword you, motorcycle. You called oh, it that. Rewind. Did, is let's it, go back. Wasn't that the name of the episode? The ultimate lesbian mode of transportation, or something like that. It oh was. Why didn't I think about the fact I could have smooched the sword motorcycle? Oh my god. Uh, okay, you know how I made it canon earlier that Liamora goes back to play card games with her card game friend in the cult place. She smooches the sword motorbike. That's canon <laughs> now. I want art of it. It happened. Hell yeah. Uh, and the other question: Did I have anything I was disappointed? You guys didn't do um so no because the point of the show is me helping you bring your characters to life and telling their story so i'm never disappointed uh because anything i write is really about making sure you guys have fun and do cool stories and we did that so i'm happy with it uh i would say that in the spirit of the question that the zodar mystery that i did have that was real they they were hiding something that i will not reveal now because ah! because like the ableth uh, the arc of history is long, and there are only so many stories we can do in D and D. So I do not think we have seen the last of the Zodar. But you hate? No, you like. I hate not knowing things. 
Well, maybe four, five, six years in the future, you'll know things. Fuck off, man. God, I'm not going to be alive then. <laughs> God willing. That's big energy, Chris. It's definitely going to be at least two, because I did not know if you were going to solve it this season. Um, Ebrand, conduit of consumption at Bjorti Baklov, Baklov, asks, was there a naming theme again, and what was it? Um, so long-time listeners know that I usually have some kind of connective tissue between the NPCs to reinforce themes and motifs. Um, obviously the planets were named after mathematicians, but that's not my idea. That's just a real way planets are named. Um, most of the NPCs were, uh, or pretty much all of them were named after, uh, people who had won the Nobel prize. Oh, um, mostly in sciences. Um, and there were a couple other scientists and philosophers in who were in those like in that milieu who didn't actually win one who were included, like uh, as Chris alluded to the Cassius situation. Um, but it wasn't just because oh Nobel equals smart. But do you guys know what Alfred Nobel invented? Dynamite. TNT. Yeah, which is an incredible uh, invention, very smart thing. But thing he actually felt pretty bad about because of its destructive. Uh, qualities obviously both in the loss of human life and the damage it's done to the planet which i don't think it's a difficult connection to make to the graphene mining so it's about scientific progress and the potential of humans or you know people and also the flip side of that destructive nature it's pretty clear nerd <laughs> Evan Ledoux at Evan Ledoux asks Lauren, how'd you come up with your plan to take out the Sun Dragon? I had kind of been like, I, I, some people were joking about it in the Discord. They're like, oh, lol, imagine if, if, and I was like, yes, but what if? Uh, and I was like, hey, Austin, can I put my baby in this brain? He was like, yeah, it's a great idea. That's the secret to both the sun gun and the nut, the final nut, right? Is that you basically saw people in the Discord saying, wouldn't it be funny if... And y'all thought I wouldn't do it, you fools. <laughs> so Lauren's uh, looking at your homework over your shoulder, listeners. Oh, yeah. No, total credit to y'all for just coming up with really dumb ideas that I love very much. Um, Jer- Derek J. Ross at Schmaz Products asks, when did you know that Sasha was going to be the Mothman? I think a better question is wh- how long, like, for, for what period of time was Sasha not the Mothman in my mind? Very, very short period. Because you came to me and you said, I want to make a conspiracy theorist who loves the Mothman. And I thought, oh, man, how am I going to make a Mothman that's going to live live up to your imagination? That's such a big figure. Anything I do is going to be disappointing. And then I think very shortly after you came back with your, your conduit idea, the conduit of conspiracy. So you're always planning ahead. And... Mothman is about I mean the Mothman legend is it's a creature who travels through time and delivers warnings of impending yeah like tragedy <laughs> there for me there was no other way I don't know how a person would tell the story in a different way it just it seems so obvious that I never really considered for very long that she wasn't the Mothman no I did I was bamboozled <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that um but yeah it's it just seemed like the obvious thing to me but um, for Lauren uh, from Shane at Toonie underscore Fox, what's Sasha, what's Sasha's dad up to after the galaxy was saved? Watching my uh, Miami Schmalfins football games. So did they never reconciled? Oh, no, I'm sure they've somewhat not actually apologized to each other, but in a roundabout way. And it's just 
We're cool now. We see each other on Wormsgiving. It's fine. He's a little bit less of an asshole, hopefully. Uh, Dawn, sunken sorceress at Saturn II Dawn, asks, If Dreg used the flail on Cassius, would that have prevented him from going to the afterlife as well? Uh, no, uh, it would have eaten his physical body, but his soul would have escaped. Uh, we saw this in season one uh, when... Uh, spoilers, Jane died uh, with Gorfinax's influence around and then her ghost showed up. So it was established that that's not how that works. Although when Dreg literally bound it to his soul, then it did eat his soul. But just getting hit with it would not uh, erase your soul, which does not exist physically in the same place as your flesh. Uh, so mm, flesh. <laughs> flesh, 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 flesh. Proud nerd at chaos underscore amo amo asks, um, since the Maxwells have chains but are not sapient, that means non-sapient beings can be conduits too. That's actually it's a good question. Uh, so the chains are the connections between the world of form forms and the physical world. So the obviously the Maxwells have the chains and people have chains. The the confusion here is that conduit is the name for when sapient people are connected with the world of forms so they both have chains but that's not what conduit means for them conduit just means when it connects to people does that make sense yeah yes okay like a conduit isn't an actual special thing in nature it's just the word that people use for when the connection between people it's and a connection forms. yeah so the yeah so the maxwells had the connection but they weren't conduits because conduits just specifically mean sapient people uh, Starlight Glimmer did nothing wrong. At AR, at Arm McKitty asks, will Chris ever go a full season without making me cry at work? I mean, if I'm still doing things right, then no. Right? He wants to hurt you. Damn. Yeah, I'm like a Harbinger in Mass Effect 2, where I look at you and I said, this hurts you, and then a little yellow beam comes out of my hand and hits you. Mm-hmm. That's an obscure Mass Effect reference for you. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Cosmignon uh, at Cosmignon asks, uh, are Sa- Sasha's eyes permanently fucked up now? Does she have big red eyes like Mothman? Yeah, I think so, because that sounds dope. Uh, she also asks, is Mothman still a real thing, or was it just future Sasha's ingenious plan? Well, there are moth people that are men presumably yeah the lepidopterans exist obviously because i wanted to give you the gift of moth people thank but with- you so much <laughs> but without the expectations one character would have had to carry uh so the lepidopterans obviously exist but as far as people seeing a time traveling thing with red eyes that warns them of danger before disappearing that is sasha i don't think there's a separate moth man in west virginia <laughs> in whatever universe that is yeah Sasha's just really, really obsessed with the folk, uh, with the with the fate of one universe's realities, West Virginia. There's something really important to the whole. I, uh, I keep going back the, to Harper's Ferry to get the frozen yeah. custard. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Aline asks, "What's uh, the funniest moment of season five for you guys?" That's Aline at uh, Aline underscore Keat K E I T can't really think of one were we were we a comedy podcast it, sometimes it's hard to tell i don't remember us making any jokes <laughs> i loved the back and forth uh between big star and drag in the ship when uh, towards towards the end where um who was it chris was uh, you, big star was asking about like 
Oh, the rhetorical. Qu- well, wasn't it rhetorical question? It was on was the. Asking. It was on the way to the black site when Big Star was like, "Would yeah. you rather lose your dick or balls?" <laughs> like that. That's that's the moment where I was I was struggling to not like break uh, throughout this. That was that was funny to me. Yeah, it was good. Uh, I think. My favorite was actually in the credits when Austin said his tummy hurt. <laughs> I didn't put that in the show. That's a that's a Discord Fuck. exclusive. Is that? Oh no! The, yeah, the because it, it's so shrill. It'd be really annoying to hear every week for the audience. But if you're not in the Discord, uh, we were recording the credits, and there was a part where Lauren was making me laugh so hard I got a stomach ache, and I just like shrieked, "My tummy hurts!" <laughs> and so I, good. I, I cut it out and put it in the Discord as an MP3. But yeah, that's not actually in the show. Um, also, after Jacqueline died, and I was like, Ambassador Respect, are you here? And Chris just fucking ran with it. Yeah. I mean, the my boring answer is, like, literally anytime Chris g- gets to a certain level of volume, because that's when you know he's on his shit. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, Austin, did you have any plans for Ambassador Respect before you were like, oh, hey, I can't voice two characters in the same scene. Does anyone want to be this this other NPC of mine? Uh, so he was um, not really plans per se. Like he was the representative of like the solitaire government because you guys didn't, uh, if you had sided with objectivists against courage, you would have made an enemy of the solitaire and I would have introduced more solitaire antagonists, like people who would, who would have like chased you throughout the season because you killed one of them. But since you didn't, he was just kind of like the main representative of them as a peaceful political force. But no, I didn't have anything like, like a storyline planned that you ruined or anything. <laughs> I was so worried that it was going to be a situation where you're like, well, I did have some like larger scale plans. He had some speeches coming up that he was going to be a part of. And well, then you made him a trail mix loving weirdo uh, my- <laughs> who broke the solitaire's uh, speech pattern that was established by every other one we met. Yeah, he just talked really fast. So you couldn't tell <laughs> the I, I know what what moment I found the most fun and wanted to laugh while doing was. Um, and it was trying to have Liamoira explain to Dreg that she'd realized that the, the conduit, that the, the wheel turn form was synchronicity, mm-hmm. while clearly tripping on drugs and trying not to sound like it was just a drug trip. Yeah, and Dreg was like, you need some water, let There's, me help there you. Was, there, mm-hmm. there, was, there was a lot of fun in going, how do I explain <laughs> No, wait, listen, Dreg. I worked it out. The whole universe is connected, and not in that I've just done drug sense, but it is all actually connected. Sure, you have. Sure. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Dreg, Dreg played the straight man so well. Can we stop to give credit to how astonishingly good Conrad was at playing Dreg? Oh, it, I loved it. You're you're disgustingly good. It's it's it's. I feel astonishing. like you get me. Yeah, you you played the straight man so Aww. well. It was perfect. Aww. It's such a fine line to walk, right? Because yeah. Drake could have easily just been like unlikable. And I think a lot of people were worried about that at the beginning of the season. And it's like, no, he knows what he's doing. He's got this. Hold you, on. You played you played it as beautiful dry humor. It was it was so enjoyable. Oh, I, I wanted him to be kinda dull. Right? And in a, in the not, you know, not quick on the uptake sense. Uh, he'll figure something out if he's given enough time to think it through. But if in a position where he has to respond to something immediately, he's probably going to miss it. And he and it's in it's on the character sheet. He does not understand metaphors. Mm-hmm. It's literally on there. Uh, so anytime that 
somebody used one, I got to take the opportunity to <laughs> to slide something in. And so, that, yeah, it, it was fun. I mean, I like playing straight men characters because, yeah, it's there is it's very easy to do self-effacing humor when you get to let the jokes bounce off and then other people get to be funny and like really shine when you're there to have that idea to bounce off of. So it's, it, I love doing it. So I'm glad it worked in this context and I'm, I thought it was fun. I mean, I wouldn't be brave enough to do it, honestly, braver than, than the us as we've established, but um, I can cut this out if you don't want to Laura, but this reminds me of a conversation we had about next season and about how playing the, the straight man can sometimes leave you without uh, as much like drama as you'd want. Um, do you remember this conversation about how like Voltari was kind of such a messy character with all this backstory and stuff and Frank's yeah. main motivation was like I want to stop playing D&D <laughs> and Liam Myra's motivation is like I don't want anyone to fight in D&D and so like next season you're like I really want to be a messy bitch next time yeah it, it was a, it was the thing that like I liked the motivation say for Frank as to why he got into the thing it was like ah he wants he wants money and he wants to be a better dad and he wants to be less chaotic so that he can get his kids back which I thought was a really interesting start but obviously when you're trying to downplay and de-escalate every situation which I, again was kind of a thing with Liam Moira she wanted to de-escalate every situation and go let's not have it all get chaotic I want to keep all my family safe it it doesn't lend for the kind of chaos that I'm excited to get back to. Yeah, which is what we were talking about with Conrad. It was like yeah. being the straight man can be kind of draining and thankless. And you feel like, yeah. oh man, I really wish I could do more or something. And it takes like a certain Conrad talent <laughs> to really bring it home. Totally. <laughs> like, anyone can do like what I did at the start of season three with Veltari, which is like, ah, chaotic, wants to be a cool rock star it takes something else to be like oh, i'm gonna play a sensible character who has reserved motivations i don't know if i have the rage honestly next season's gonna be fun uh... <laughs> oh yeah we can do a, a quick thing on the next season at the end here i just want to answer like one two, one two more questions um another cosmignon joint cosmignon at cosmignon asks all caps what was behind the middle lab door austin Oh, yeah. Yeah, what was in there, bitch? So uh, the entire first arc, the Fairmont Lab, was loosely based on a classic D&D adventure from 1980 called Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Uh, this was, a, 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 I think, an AD&D? Uh, so first edition, basically. Uh, adventure module in which the the party, which is like, you know, classic knight, soldier, fighter, paladin, ranger, like, you know, those kind of people medieval people come across a downed ufo uh it is basically the the module which confirmed that illithids were from space that aliens exist in dnd um it's laser guns are introduced into dnd this is in 1980 well before Spelljammer. so for me that was kind of like the genesis of all dnd space stuff so i wanted to pay tribute to it so uh in expedition to the barrier peaks there are a bunch of aliens that are introduced in addition to the illithid. There is the um, the frog Hemoth, the big one oh. behind the big door. There are the mold people, the moldies or whatever you called them, uh, that are behind the little door. I mean, the, the door stuff is mine. I, spl I split that up. But these are the aliens that are introduced in Barrier Peaks. And then there's the one you guys didn't see, which is a creature called the wolf in sheep's clothing. Oh, no. 
which <laughs> is often considered, if you like Google, like worst or dumbest D&D monsters of all time, top 10 bad D&D monsters. Uh, the wolf in sheep's clothing is an alien, which is a, a bunny rabbit sitting on a log, like a, a tree stump. And it's secretly a wolf. Well, no, it's a secretly the when you so you walk up to it and you're like, oh, a little bunny. And then the tree stump opens up with its teeth and bites you. Oh, I love it. It's like a uh, an angler fish instead of oh. instead of having a little fish on a hook. It's the little bunny, but it doesn't make any sense. Why would an alien look like a bunny on a tree stump? Yeah, they're gonna be like, "Where this bunny come from? Where this tree stump come from? Where in space?" Ranker has it as the number nineteen worst D and D creature, <laughs> but it's beneath Flump, so I don't really know. So yeah. The flumps are totally and universally disrespected. Season three was my attempt to rehabilitate them. And if they're ever popular again, uh, it's directly our uh, credit. So we, that's us. We did that. I'm putting a picture of the wolf in sheep's clothing in the Skype for the party. I guess the us. I like him. I want to be one. Uh, So that was what was behind the middle door. But yeah, I I wanted to pay tribute to the the first uh, module where aliens came to D and D. Lol. Why does its mouth have to, be that like why so why is it yonic? vertical <laughs> okay if if we had opened that door is there any universe in which we could have recruited this thing to the party <laughs> <laughs> i don't think so it doesn't speak any languages and i don't know if it can move because it's a tree stump hey hey, hey. the witch light couldn't communicate either and we got that to join the party it just makes me wonder with that desire D artists out in the woods fucking tree stumps i'm so confused <laughs> Uh, yeah, so naughty tree stumps aside, that was what was in the middle door, and I think uh, that was a successful... I don't like that. You don't like him? Yeah, good dodge. Good dodge. <laughs> uh, why, I agree with Conrad, don't like that mouth placement and positioning. Yeah, it's a little yonic. Um, but, yeah. uh, so there's a couple more questions here, a lot of them are duplicative, but we're running out of time. Is there anything you guys want to tease or talk about in regards to season six? I've learned, doing this show for many years, that it's important to set expectations. Uh, we've talked before that it's Planescape, that it's the same cast. It's all of us. Yay. Yay, friendship. We have at, le- we have at least one evil character, and I'm just going to tell you right now, more than one. <laughs> yeah, well, they already know, I think, that I'm evil. Yeah. Lauren spilled the beans. I love to spill the beans, okay? <laughs> I, I'm chaotic good, but not in the kind of way that's going to stop me killing people. Like, <laughs> you know how, how how Goku is chaotic good, but, like, has done a bunch of murders? <laughs> I do know. Like, you know, that, like, like that. A little bit like that. <laughs> I describe my character as half Brian Fuller Hannibal, half Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, but... I always say I'm going to do something, and then halfway through the season, it f- f- fucking runs away with me. I have children now, so. I, I I can tell you that my character is by far the smallest, physically <laughs> smallest character I've played by a very long way. For, for once, I'm not playing a very tall person. How, how small? Uh, Three foot. Damn. Yeah, they're small. very small. That's, that might be the smallest Quite possibly might be the smallest. I've gone from playing all the tall people to all the small people. Um, all the small people. Okay. <laughs> as far uh, as expectations go, they're going to be evil characters, but I don't know if I can characterize it as like evil season because no. we've talked about this before in the Discord about it's hard to do evil season because you have to actually want to do evil and that's hard to be likable and have any kind of goals that don't become gross. I, I will say this is the season where... 
the characters will probably have the fewest hang-ups about doing things that would traditionally get you onto the evil alignment section. Is that fair to say? Oh, I think definitely. I just don't want to have people have the expectation that it's evil season or it's villain season. No. I think there's going to be a much greater uh, variety of acceptable behaviors, but I yes. do think ultimately that they're going to be working for some good in the universe. Yeah, working for some good, but doing some actions that like our ca- characters from previous seasons might have sat and mulled over, mm, is this really the right thing to do? Oh, I don't know. That They might be a little quicker to go, yeah, let's just go and do the action. I think the thing that I want us to be able to bring across in the next season is that evil is a spectrum. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just can't put the inspiration. I'm so sorry. Everybody watch Killing Eve. It's very good and it's very gay. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people ask for evil season or villain season, and I think that's more uh, appropriate for a one shot. We're like, I'm going to go kill the, the hero of legend. I'm going to go steal the sacred artifact. Yeah. I think if you had to sit there and listen for 40 hours of people just trying to make the world worse, I think it would become unpleasant. The only way to really do that kind of story is to start it off like it's a normal season and or the normal sort of campaign. And over the course of the adventure, they become the bad guys, sort of like Breaking Bad. But even that was trashed by the last season. So, you know, it's a hard thing. Oh, well, throwing fucking hot takes out there like that. I agree. Okay. Thank you. Someone has to stand with me. I got you, Chris. I mean, Chris, you say that, but that's literally what season one was. We started off like, we're going to help people. And then halfway through, I was like, I'm a religious terrorist. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Like, that's how you do it. You you yeah. Trojan horse it in with good characters. And then at the end, you're like, oh, they're all monsters. Look at the pretty flames. I, I, I want to tease. I did one season where I wasn't a magic user. I'm going back to doing magic. I miss magic. <laughs> I, you hate saying I don't know what to do, but attacking. Yeah, I, I didn't like that this season. I was like, the only thing I know how to do is a shoot. That's a big shift for me, for me too. I won't be doing a lot of punching. I'm predictable. I'm going to be a warlock again. I've been brushing up on all of my gamer slang for this season. <laughs> uh, okay, now we're getting into the stuff. I'll say for those who don't know Planescape, uh, you don't have to do any research. I'll say this in the first episode then too, but if you don't know, Planescape is essentially uh, all the afterlives of D&D. Like we we visited Acheron this season. The season before we went to Mechanis. The season before we went to Carceri. Um, like that uh, all those are the kind of locations we're going to be going to. Uh, the people who made Planescape, I, the man's name escapes me, but he, he described the setting as philosophers with clubs. <laughs> that's like, that's the premise of it. Um, as far as the content, if we, if we give like a name to every season, as far as like the material, like we said, like season two was like the Wind Waker. Seasons, season three was kind of like a police procedural in a, a small town. Season four was Shadowrun. Season five is Spelljammer, basically. Um, season six, in addition to being Planescape, if you need a quick way to refer to it, and I, I think this might be the last thing I'll say on this episode, unless somebody has any other questions. Uh, the way I've been referring to it internally is... Assassin season. Da, da, da. <laughs> I'm playing Ambassador Respect next season. You can't stop me. He's back. Yes! He's back, baby! Content, and he's deserve. a ghost! I'm just gonna play Travis Touchdown. 
There we go, done. Yeah, I mean, it literally is the No More Hero season. I just didn't want to alienate people who hadn't played that game. <laughs> like me. Like me. Oh, No More Heroes 3 got announced today. Ugh. Awesome. When are we going to do a Fire Emblem season? And a Magic Gathering season? And a Wire season? Patreon.com slash Laura K Buzz. Go spend your money on Laura. She's amazing. It's a website I enjoy. Patreon.com slash Laura K Buzz. I go there. All the time. Every day. To support her and her independent journalisms. 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 Jorblorbs. I'm going to call them Jorblorbs. June! Is that June? Yeah, sure was, buddy. June 2017 <laughs> bitch <laughs> 2025 no uh, season 12 I don't know what, I don't want to know what 2025 Lauren is up to oh we'll both be extremely dead oh well that's nice but not from anything tragic we'll both flung ourselves into the sun it'll be very funny or like eating too much pie or something <laughs> like that one possum in the donut shop or lasagna Anyways, it's June. Wow. We have credits because it's June now. It is. This is going to be the credits for both the finale of season five, the beginning of season six, and anything we publish in between. So it's a very auspicious credits. We better not ruin it by talking about dying. Anyways, (laughs) executive producers for June 2019 are... You don't have the list up, do you? Bitch, I do. I was trying to give you the first name, but never mind. Oh. A Bozog blew my cover five to stay alive. We must kick into overdrive. Uh, is this going to be, did they get together and make only Power Rangers references this month? Is that what's happening? I don't know, but I did retweet the tweet saying we were contractually obligated to say anything they've said. That's self-sabotaging behavior. You really should talk to your therapist about that. A nudist druid, also known as a nuded. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like nuted, like Pingu. A werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand. Aaron Palavin. Abigail Grace. Adrian Y. Aftershock, conduit of a jumping spider with water droplet hat. Aki Savalainen. Albert West. Aliyah. Alex Vepra. Allison the Purple, conduit of unseen, half-finished fan art stash itself. Release them. Release the documents. An otter fleeing from a relentless Roomba. Can you imagine the noises? I feel like y'all think otters are a lot less hardcore than they are. They're murder tubes. Andrew Birmingham. Andrew Feje, conduit of causing infinite shame itself. Probably because I keep saying your name wrong. I'm so sorry. Andrew Grothen. Andrew R. Andy Harkins. Anna. Anna, conduit of procrastination. Same. Anthony Patronadora. Arachnavolt, keeper of the credit prison and sentinel of E3 hype. Fear me. George, you hear about the George R. R. Martin game from the makers of Dark Souls? It's gonna be lit. Oh. 
<laughs> you don't care. <laughs> Arcanist of... Ralea, it's from the H.P. Lovecraft story uh, Call of Cthulhu. It's a city where lies... Tre- there's a little TM in the middle. Yeah, well, yeah, it's because the conversion. You know this. I know, but it just amuses me. Archibald H. Cactus. That sounds like something you would name an animal on the show. It really, really does. Arja Limite. Arjan de Koenig. Ash, the girl with the big gay for Lauren. Hey. <laughs> oh, no, don't encourage her. Aubrey Hunter. Austin New Yorkski. Okay. <laughs> Austin Yorkski, conduit of good boy itself. See, why can't everyone just acknowledge without trying? Austin! When is the next one shot? Isaac, conduit of gavel, gavel, gavel. I mean, literally, this could be on the, this credit's going to be on the end of a one shot, so I feel like you played yourself, Isaac. Austin, conduit of mentioning <laughs> fingering one time and releasing the horny. That was the seal. I broke it. Now everything's horny. Now they know. Backwards of conduit, sparkle. Beef swelling tin, conduit of meat. For the audience, I definitely just edited out a really gross noise I made thinking about meat. Uh, Leave it in, you coward. <laughs> BJ, conduit of miniature giant space hamsters. Before we continue, I gotta say, I got tiny nips. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. That's that. not Lauren speaking, by the way. <laughs> I'm so glad you had to read that one. Benedict Cumbersnatch, conduit of cuke thievery. Big fan of space, both outer and personal. Uh, yeah. Blue six. Bonus. Booty full of snails. <laughs> Get the snails out of there! <laughs> That's not where they go. Brent, still every episode of Dice Funk. Goatly. You didn't read Brady, conduit of failed murder. I'm done with his failed murder. Oh, damn. Callum, fuck yeah, it's Pride Month. Turner. That also <laughs> that also explains why Ragnar died in the finale. Spoilers for the episode you just listened to is because there's no cops at Pride. Hell yeah. Cameron Avis. Can anybody suck Lauren's dick or is it invitation only asking and then it gets cut off, but presumably asking for a friend? Listen, just DM me. Uh, no, don't. This is, nope, it's not appropriate. Everything's uh, appropriate. Candace. Underscore listen to Dice Funk underscore Starling. And I probably should have pronounced those, but I was flustered. Jared one. Charlie Chalkley said <laughs> not for whom him's penis breaks, it breaks for thee. Chris! Conduit of bad decisions walling. Christ man. Every time I do anything, that's Austin's response. <laughs> <laughs> Christ man. Christopher Charlow. Coho Blast. Damn. Conrad's cat Clemens shows up to recording but can't even get a mention. That's because Conrad's cat Clemens behaves and unlike your goblins doesn't shriek through every recording. Hey, you would shriek too. <laughs> if I was trapped in your very bad house. Hey. <laughs> You're a terrible, awful, no good house. Coram thinks that Harbor Master is a brilliant sci-fi webcomic. I can't dispute that, so... Cosmignon Condorist. Oh, she's just... It's one of those, huh? Counterfeit. Sierra Saldana. I also feel like you didn't do justice to Cosmignon Conduit of Stardust. You were just trying to talk over me instead of appreciating the very good art. Cosmignon knows I love her. Sierra Saldana, prophet of RN Jesus. Q, I appreciate you. Yes, you. Cumber. 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 Dandy Snuff. Cumber. Cumber. Daria, conduit of pizza. David, conduit of thanking Chris. Donning Frost. Chris. Chris. Did you shake your fist at the sky when you said it? Yes. I did not lie to you. Donning Frost. 
Dennis Pancake Detlefson. Devon Conduit of Evolution. Don Johnston. Don't you know that Pornhub is a real thing, you degenerate? Seriously, is that a- The porn on Tumblr was GIF, so if you want to rub one out sneakily with no sound. Dorian, Conduit of Devotion. Dr. Tao. Dr. Goatman. Dr. Ixis. Is it? Is it? Physics. Dragon in the server room. Dylan and Rill and the dog listening on a lazy Sunday morning, also dishes. You guys have a lot of dishes. Dylan, conduit of big skeleton booty. How would a skeleton even have a booty? He's dummy thick and he's clacking, clacking, clacking. <laughs> INRJ, kobolds are the doggos of D&D. Changed my mind. Kobolds are traditionally doggos, but D&D changed them to lizards early in their history. and It's a major departure from most lore. Ecorn. Did I change your mind? I feel like she's just moving on. Elder Brain, conduit of gooey goo, chew-chewing, fizz-whiz, Oh, no, they really got me this week. That's uh, why I let you do that one. Wash Buzz Whiz, because his fuzz. Elder Dog. Aww. They love to sleep. Elderlygoose.com, conduit of the shameless plug. Hold on. Uh, we got to make sure that's not Tumblr porn. Is it Tumblr porn? No, because Tumblr doesn't have any porn, so it'd just be regular porn. Nope, it is a real site. It works, and it's not full of porn, so I checked. Good. Eleanor Nanantesi's Periton. Eileen! Happy Pride! Hell yeah! Elizabeth Jackalope. Elusive Lily. Fuck. <laughs> Emma. Moose is neither rat nor fish. Horse, goat, sheep, uh, rabbit, uh, shark, uh, hippo. I'm getting too big, but I'm just naming all the animals. Emma Morant. And Diego Vandan. Vandane. Vandane. Ennui itself. Arwen the Lagerdeck. Ethan Lawrence. Evie, Conduit of Triad, Elemental Pugilist. Is that a video game? Excelaris. Hold on. Never. Oh, no, it's a it's a class for, it's a D&D class. Oh. An Unearthed Arcana? Anyway, it's a magic punch. Oh. Okay, now go. Excelaris. Fabian got that dank. Fire me out the sun gun straight into the sun sun. Pew. Same. Florian H. Francois V. Frank Sands. Grimlock. Guinevere Cummings. Aflo Grunderson, first of his name, born of fire and brimstone were deep. Harley Astor. Harrison Andrew. Harry, conduit of dying for objectivists. Bitch me too, the fuck. It was almost everyone in the finale. Can you believe he survived? There was a, I guess there was only a 10% chance of him getting shot, but can you I, imagine? I would have. I would. We wouldn't be friends anymore. That's fair. Hedron Master. Help! The pigeons are conspiring against me! They would do that. Hey, you. Yes, you. You're valid. Jerry F. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Oh, no. Him penis broke, but I don't care because him butthole works. <laughs> oh, God. I'm so glad. You're getting to read all those kinds tonight, huh? How do I make friend? Regards, conduit of social faux pas. Hunter Howland. Hustle Bones. Ian Morgan. If you ain't a Christian, I must stab you in the face. If it ain't... But I feel like I'm being tested on my hip hop lyric knowledge. This is like the third time. Ingmar Gremmen. Ink drop conduit of ooze. I shipped the both of you. Isaac, conduit of Tux the Penguin. <gasps> Who is Tux? <laughs> That's all she cares about now. This is gonna be the next five episodes. Congratulations. I can't read the next one because Umlaut. It's just a uh, it's nonsensical characters. 
Ah, it looks like kayak, but in like spooky text. Jade Seven Sexy Snake Sisters. James Neely? Was that a question? I did it like that on purpose. Janiac, conduit of ensnared by tentacles. Fucking hell. You want to you, <laughs> <laughs> you, you need read? me to take this one for you, buddy? Yeah, dog, please. Janiac, conduit of ensnared by tentacles, oozed on and rubbed vigorously. Jared, conduit of, well, actually, mansplaining. Jasper, conduit of fluffy pride. Hell yeah! Jay Logan, conduit of queerness itself. Happy pride! Jayish wizard, the wizard of Jay. Jealous goddess. Jess. John Carey, but not that one. John Potts. Johnny's number three fan. Obviously, Leon and myself are one and two. Oh. John Barnett, conduit of always trying to catch up, but never quite. <laughs> never quite making it, I assume. Joseph Tombrello. Josie, conduit of the dragon hatched next door. Juman Jack. Julian Phillips, conduit of Kaizen. Just a jester. Justin, conduit of pain you cause only makes me stronger, Austin. <laughs> Jorgen knows how to pronounce... Edderkop in Norwegian. I was still right about it being a Hobbit thing. Uh huh. Check the tapes. I supported you. I'm not. I'm not getting owned on this one. You're always getting owned on everyone. Caster UK. Kate, conduit of semi regular regret. Right there with you, buddy. Kiefer Low. Keith, conduit of Prozac. Oh my God, same. Kaladri, she who dreams of the fiery queer revolution. Ooh. Keller Automat. Ken, conduit of finally writing this goddamn PhD dissertation. Ken Toweroy. Ken Toroy? Kevin Dobbins. Kidney, a beholder in a snazzy hat. Spoiler for season six character. Killer Cotton Shizno. Kaniko fan. Kitty Foe. Not Thing. Kodiak and Luke Albuquerque, conduit of good, good belly rubs. Christina, conduit of gay trans lepidopterans and bozogs at Pride. Kicks and flaps for everyone. Hell yeah. Criterion, conduit of Caleb is my boy. Kyle Basvik. Kyle, president of the Drop Goodwood fan club. Lana Seawolf, lady of bones. Lauren's duckling. Lauren Cates, conduit of a moist, fleshy, pulsating Maxwell slug bozog. You got to say all the words you like. Okay, hold on. Loki, Loki, tattooing no regrets. Is Musa cactus? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite a plot twist if Moose was a cactus. It'd be a real bamboozle. Ludovico Limited. Luke Powers. Luther the villain, conduit of insolence. Mmm, Joe. The cult of Gorfanax. Master Rank dreams of electric sheep. Matt Collier. Matt Lackett is grateful for Dice Funk and New Century. Two excellent podcasts. <laughs> I like how even when we know what they're trying to say, we cut it off dramatically. I think it's uh, good for the jokes. Matthew B. Hare. Matthew Schultz. Maximum Sideboob 4, son of Sideboob. <laughs> Chris, is that you? The set does sound like Chris. Uh-huh. Majin, conduit of binging 20 episodes to catch up with the finale. It would shorten the amount of time you're in agony from all the sadness. Oh, that's true. Melbent. Melissa, conduit of loving Joel. Melissa Nielsen. Mel Tyke, ponduit. Ponduit. You want to just start the credits over? <laughs> no, I'm I'm on I'm, I'm on fire, bitch. Mel Tyke, ponduit of bad jokes. 
Michael Groman. Groman? Nobody knows. Michael Hall. It's Michael Hall. <laughs> Michael Minkler, conduit of Fisher Fitz Fritch Fisher Fisher? I think it's Michelle Minkler. Oh, that makes sense. Michelle. Michelle. Michelle Minkler, conduit of Fisher Fritz Fished Fresh Fish. Midlife right. Stasis. Mike Draws. Miko from Finland. Miles and Rose, conduits of yin and yang. Modified Matthew. Morgan Rapp. Mr. Willie, Phoenix Steven, lesbian seagull, pooh bear shaker. My personal favorite patron. <laughs> <laughs> he tricked me. My personal favorite patron, Matt Luce. <laughs> patron. Patron. I'm sorry. My Valentina's postmodern artist, Cy Twombly. Namita Aneskins, conduit of failure itself. Nathaniel Homan. Nicholas Dominic. Nicole Woodruff. Nina Person. Oh, I asked him right that Ashley is a fucking knife. Paye Robjerk, or is it Pale? I, mm hmm. You're Paye now. <laughs> we're not renaming people, we're just American. Pangolin is shook. Paul Mullen. Pineapple. Pixel Fool. Please call me Ashley. Yes, just Ashley. Pocket Sundial. Preston Bowers. Professor Husband Fizzlebang. Philosophy, yeah. Philosophy, goddamn. <laughs> Professor Husband Fizzlebang. Philosophy of Hallucination Department at Shardpoint. If you listen closely, you can literally hear us getting stupider. <laughs> As we, we lose our literal yeah. ability to read in the middle of the show. Pruitt Holcomb. Puck, conduit of large ambitions, but poor follow through. Puck, how did you get in my brain? Random, conduit of would you like a hug? I feel like we need one now. I do. Resume Azura. Robert Dakin. R- Robert E. Calf Baker definitely forgot to change his username last month. Reminder, uh, we, we try to record after the 5th. On the 5th is usually when the Patreon stuff updates, so. Rowlet uses roundness. It's super effective. It is effective on me. Yes. Ryan Power. S. Kearney. Hedge Hall. Wait, they got me. <laughs> mm-hmm. S. Kearney. Hodge Hegg Space Warlock. Mm-hmm. That's another one. We start calling them Hodge Heggs. I like Horchegg best. Salad Child. Sam Stanowitz. Sean Lyons Burke. Sean, the host of Funk Dump Plays. Simmons, Conduit of Harder Slatty. <laughs> Shane Sedgwick. Shard Point is Bees. Shane Ware, check out Embalmed Apple to support a new creator. You have to listen to the credits with like a notepad so you can just take notes of everything everyone's recommending in here. Shocking Link, eater of the concept of concepts. Sin Milk Todd. Tom, sorry, I got it. That's my porn name. Sin Sin Milk Milk Tom. Tom. (laughs) (laughs) No explanation needed. Sir Octopus, conduit of chivalrous cephalopods. Socialism is party cohesion and Soviet power. Space Ogre is Star Shrek. How did we go 38 episodes and not make that joke? What's wrong with me? We fucked up. Squid Cap, the conduit of titty-loving gremlins. That's just you. Oh. Well, I'm very vain, so I love other titties in my own. Wow. (laughs) Starlight Glimmer did nothing wrong. Did, Did she, though? I have no idea. I think it's a My Little Pony thing. Stefan Lund, the greatest stain, conduit of the great stain. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know where that accent came from, but I was really into it. I just felt like rolling my R. Sternad, conduit of consonants. Sure are, buddy. 
Sydney Marsing. Syretha says, everyone should watch Tuca and Birdie on Netflix. See? It's nothing but recommendations. This is this is the replacement for word funk. <laughs> <laughs> Tales of Inquiry. Tara, conduit of terrible pun. Fuck. The cast of Dungeons the Gathering. The murderous penguin who secretly lives in your sock drawer. The Possum Kingdom Liberation Insurgency. The Precursor. That sounds like a horror movie. It is. It has oh, to be. it is? No, I have no idea, but one assumes. Oh, the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Marietta, Georgia. Tim Lutton. Toby Gleasonstack. Toshiro Kuru, conduit of knowing better than to question Lauren. <laughs> Finally, somebody. <laughs> Lauren's been looking her whole life for you, Toshiro Kuru. Somebody Validate just... <laughs> me! <laughs> exactly. Shut up and listen. Trace Marson. Transient passerby. Trevor S., it's my 21st birthday. Can't get a yeet, yeah! Yeah, yeet! Yeah, yeet, yeah! Happy birthday, get drunk. Or not, it's up to you. Unless you take medication or you don't like alcohol and then eat a lot of cake or whatever it is you like to do. Just do crack like a normal person. Whoa. Shyness! Vigar <laughs> Arnston! Victoria Molita, conduit of quietness. Victoria Valentine! Vinny, conduit of eating too many edibles. We've both been there. Busy Huggles, keep up the great work, y'all. Vulture King Mike, conduit of putrescent rotten flesh. Oh, I'm glad you got that one. Wrenchy, now that introductions are done, how are you? I'm going to be honest with you, Wrenchy, it's been quite an ordeal recording this one for some reason. I'm having a great time. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Zephosaurus. Yeah. Z23619. Zoltar the Viking Death Metal Caterpillar, Conduit of Retribution. I want to meet this caterpillar. Caterpillar. I forgot to say caterpillar for a second. <laughs> it happens. Zun and you. Thanks for playing. And we did it. That's June 2019 for the show. The people who make it, you're probably asking, how can I support them? Well, it's simple. There's patreon.com slash lawyerkbuzz. That's where she is. She's back on Patreon. She left the site. That we will no longer named for to support them. I don't know if that's reasonable. I'm sure or not. it's fine, but she's not there, so do we care? Yeah, no. it's not in our interest anymore to even say their name. It's patreon.com slash Laura K Buzz now. She's doing live streams, she's doing articles, she's doing podcasts. Or, you know, you don't have to even you don't have to look or listen to any of it if you just want to give her money. That's fine too. Honestly, no one's checking. There's not Patreon cops. Yeah, like just give her money. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm at patreon.com slash Austin Yorsky. You know what it is. Patreon.com slash of horse. That's uh, Conrad's project. Weekly manga recap is the name of Chris's. He recaps manga monthly. Patreon.com slash weekly manga recap. Sketch is bandcamp.sketch.com. Sketch slash slish. underscore sketch.bandcamp slash camp.band. Yeah. Plus dot. minus sketch. I'm here sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't do anything, but you can just send me money if you want to. Yeah, the description of this episode has the link, paypal.me slash rargalicious. Oh, that's very thoughtful of you. It's been in there for a while. You didn't notice. I did, and I just keep forgetting to tell you I appreciate it, because I'm... You bamboozled me. Yeah, I notice things. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, iTunes is going away, so who gives a shit about iTunes anymore? It is. Google Play, you gotta keep up on the tech news lauren this is our tech podcast yeah itunes is getting fucking owned uh there's cats and we gotta talk about conrad's cats because somebody (laughs) was very upset about it you can't download our podcast on cats uh google play podbean youtube 
there's a lot of places you can rate and comment and sh- share. You dial the belly like a phone, and then the cat plays the podcast. <laughs> Does, do cat bellies really need like a spokesperson? I feel like they're pretty universally enjoyed. Well, I think pe- a lot of people are afraid of being attacked, but you just gotta go for it anyway. Lauren says, literally covered head to toe in scars. Where's it? <laughs>